Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up on today's show, we'll be joined by Bryson Stricker of Bleacher Report. We'll get his insights on the Final Four. And also, he'll check in on uh, the KU AD coaching search. We'll get his thoughts and all that more when Bryson joins us, making his Jones Report debut coming up in just a little while from all right, now, plus on today's show, we'll have Coach Bo's football fix coming up later. Our Tom Fullery story of the week as well. Loaded show. Glad to have you with us. Thanks for making us a part of your day. And Brian O'Connor, Coach Bo, is actually going to hang out with us again for the entire show, just as he did last week. We're not at Bo's house this week, but nonetheless, uh, we're making it happen. Bo, always a pleasure, my friend. Hope you're doing well. Yeah. What's going on? Hey, not much. It's been a week, you know. It's been, uh, it's been, it's been real. It's been a lot of stuff going on, and uh, man, things are moving fast. So it's uh, thanks for taking the time, and thanks for letting me come on this week. I, I've always enjoyed our time together. Oh, we we always have a great time, Bo. Uh, no doubt about it. And uh, we got certainly a lot to talk about on uh, today's show. And uh, where we're going to start is uh, with the NCAA tournament and the Final Four. Now set, it will be Gonzaga taking on UCLA, Baylor taking on Houston. And what a path to get there. I mean, let's go back in time before the season began. And the number one team in America was Gonzaga. The number two team was Baylor, according to the preseason polls. And, you know, I was one of many that told you I thought it was going to be a Gonzaga-Baylor national championship with Gonzaga winning it all. And and we're not there yet, but we're awfully close to that point. And, you know, all season there was a couple – there was a couple of detours along the way. Sure, you had Baylor go through a COVID pause of sorts, and they didn't look like the same team there for a bit. Uh, you saw Gonzaga go through a COVID pause, but after that, they recovered nicely and were just fine. Um, we saw Illinois jump into the equation and be a really good team, as hot as any team in college basketball towards the end of the season, but then they ran into a Loyola team that was a bad matchup for them. We saw a Michigan team that looked really good with uh, one of the best young coaches in college basketball, uh, Jawan Howard, uh, leading the way there and what they were able to do. That looked like a fun Michigan team. And then, uh, what do you know, uh, they come up just short in Elite Eight against uh, a team in UCLA that just shocked the world and came out of nowhere. But nonetheless... We, we get to the Final Four, and sure, there's a, a Houston team there and a UCLA team that, um, you know, the UCLA team nobody saw coming. The Houston team hasn't been there in quite some time, but this season is all back to where we started with Gonzaga and Baylor, what this year has been all about. And, you know, yes, the games still need to be played between uh, you know, Baylor, Houston, and Gonzaga, UCLA. But I, I do feel like we're just still waiting on the inevitable at this point, that Gonzaga-Baylor national champion matchup uh, with an undefeated, what would be a 31-0 Gonzaga team and a Baylor team that is phenomenal in their own right. Both teams with NBA talent, both teams with great guards, 
great coaches. Um, this feels like if we get this title game, that it would be the game of the century, that this would be one of the best college basketball matchups of all time, at least in recent memory, if we get there between Gonzaga and Baylor. That's the type of game we're talking about here if we get there. I fully anticipate, as I've said all season long, that we're going to have a Gonzaga-Baylor championship game. I wish they could play a best-of-seven series for all intents and purposes between these two schools. It'd be great to see. Um, but I got to ask you, Bo, these games are still to be played. We still have Final Four Saturday, one of the best days of the year. Been two years since we've had a Final Four Saturday. Am I jumping the gun a little bit to anticipate that Monday night title game between Gonzaga and Baylor, or are you feeling the same vibe too, that we're just waiting for the inevitable here? I think we're just waiting for the inevitable as well. I, I think Houston's got a chance against Baylor. I mean, I do. They, they, that's a good team. Houston's played well. That's a talented team. They're well-coached team. Uh, Houston can give of the two games, Baylor-Houston will be the better game. But I do think you're right. We've all wanted to see Gonzaga Baylor all season. They've been one and one A. Um, you know, throughout the season, you know, here in the last month, month and a half of the season, Michigan and Illinois kind of played their way into the argument. But, but in the end, those two teams were the else. I don't think you're off base at all. Yeah, it's I think it's what we've been waiting for is Gonzaga and Baylor and, you know, the, the college football world got to experience uh, the game of the century back in 2011 with Alabama and LSU, number one and number two, and then facing off in the national title game there in that conference. And, and just the excitement there was all year about those two teams, Alabama and LSU. This feels like the same way the college basketball version that all year long we were talking about Gonzaga and Baylor. And we finally get to this point. You know, I, I guess another, if you want a college football comparison, USC and Texas back in 05, they were one and two all year long from uh, the beginning of the year till the end. And then they met in the national title and had the greatest college football game of all time between those two. And it didn't disappoint with Texas winning that national title over Alabama or over a USC rather. This has that feeling of we've been waiting, 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 and now uh, it looks like that we're that close to getting it. And, and what I would say, too, as far as Gonzaga and Baylor goes, and, and you know, adding to the fold, I guess, US, UCLA and, and uh, Houston, too, is all four coaches are looking for their first ever national championship. Um, we do so much talk in college basketball about the Blue Bloods, right? Um, the Dukes, the Kansas, Kentuckys, the Michigan States, North Carolinas, you know, Villanovas of the world. And what do you know? We're down to the Final Four. None of them are, you know, traditional powers as of late. Yes, UCLA has great basketball history, but you got to go back to, you know, the, the Waylands, you know, for, for those days of modern basketball history. These are four new cats at the table here. Um, I, I'm excited just to see, even though, yes, would I like to see Kansas there? Of course I would. Um, but I, I'm just excited, Bo, to, that we 
we get to this point of that there's some new guys there and guys to stay. I mean, this is the second straight year Baylor's been a top four team. Gonzaga has now become a powerhouse program in college basketball over these last few years where they're getting five-star talents at Gonzaga. They're not just relying on four-year players. Kelvin Sampson's done a great job there at Houston, turning them into a powerhouse in the ACC. Mick Cronin just in his second year at UCLA, unbelievable job. To me, that's one of the biggest storylines is just these coaches and what they're doing with their these programs to not be the traditional powers of sorts, Bo. Yeah, I think another piece to look at is that you brought it up earlier. All four of these coaches are going for their first national title. And, you know, the traditional blue bloods, as you call them, I love that, you know, the way you put that. They're, none of them are there. This is kind of the anti-tradition uh, of the final four in here. And I think it's kind of fitting that the one, if you want to call it traditional, you know, if he's, or that they historical team with UCLA is the biggest underdog. You know, going from the first four to the final four, you know, I think it's kind of fitting for how this season's gone with how poorly a lot of the big names have done. If you look at like North Carolina and Duke and Kansas, you know, in here at parts of the season here, um, uh, these these schools didn't do as do as well as they have in the past. Um, I also think that you know, in college basketball, it's now not the player anymore. Have you noticed? I mean, Zion Williamson a couple of years ago aside, and we've had Derek Rose. We've had a few others from time to time. They were the one-year wonders. But, boy, we don't talk a lot about these players. It has become the identity of the coaches. Yes. And these coaches are all guys that seemingly do it the right way. They're all guys you can respect and look at and go, you want to root for all of them and go, okay, if that guy gets it, good for him. I think we're all kind of past the idea of, you know, old Roy and, and coach K and, um, you know, uh, um, uh, I forget Michigan state, uh, Tom Izzo, help me out here. Michigan state's coach, Tom Izzo. Tom Izzo. Yeah. You know, those guys who are the, you know, Jim Beheim another one in Syracuse where it's like, okay, those, let those guys go. Let's, yeah. let's move on. These, these other coaches come in here now and let's, let's let them earn their championship and let them get there. I, I think this final four really does represent what's kind of great about college sports. Um, Gonzaga's not a big school. Baylor's no. not particularly a huge school. UCLA's a big Los Angeles school. And they really, again, the traditional power here. Houston, you know, U of H is big in Houston, but really not anywhere else. And you go, wow, where's the star power? Yeah. But if you look deeply, you go, wait a minute, we got the best two teams all season. The teams we knew were 1-1A. One one we got the coach who's really redeeming his reputation at Houston and Kelvin Stampson. And then now we've got UCLA who could be back. You know, it's a great story. You know, first four to last, the final four. Right? If you're looking for something that's not going to slap you in the face is obvious – Look at this final four and enjoy it. All right. I mean, this is this is what it's supposed to this is what college sports is supposed to be about. No one went in there and bought this with one player. No. No one went and got no one went and got Zion Williamson, you know, those you know the way Memphis did years ago, or you know, Kentucky's always had their your one and dones. None of them, nobody did that and said, Oh, now we're there. 
Right. It didn't well, happen. Take example, okay. Who is going to be the best player on the floor this weekend? That would be Jalen Suggs, right? Yeah. Uh, Gonzaga. And Suggs is going to be a top three draft pick uh, right up there with Cade Cunningham, you know, at Oklahoma State. Do you know how long it took Gonzaga to get a player of that caliber to come there? Gonzaga has been good for, you know, Mark Few's done a hell of a job with that program, and they've, you know, had these deep runs in the tournaments, and, you know, they've had names, you know, household names like Adam Morrison um, and, and so many others that went on to play in the NBA and developed into good talent. But Suggs is by far the best player they've had come through that program, a pro prospect potential. And it took till now for that to happen. This wasn't overnight. This was, uh, you know, a long ride to get to this point. It wasn't given. It was earned by Mark Few and Gonzaga. You look at Baylor. I mean, Scott Drew was laughed at, laughed at by those in the Big 12 conference. They thought he was a joke. Um, there was a point in time where Bill Self had less losses at Allen Fieldhouse than Scott Drew did. Um, this guy, you know, he, he he comes in after the whole Dave Bliss uh, saga, you know, where literally there was a murder involved of a of a player on player situation, and you know has to completely reinvent the culture from scratch there at Baylor. And, you know, they had a solid program, a couple lead eights here and there. But, again, people are still laughing at Scott Drew, not taking him seriously, not thinking this Baylor program is going to go anywhere. And what do you know? They keep building, building, building. They, they really use the transfer portal to their advantage. And now uh, you're talking about guys like Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell, uh, you know, Teague, uh, you know, Vital. I mean, they, they got some dudes in there. They got some legit NBA talent on that bunch. And, and you know, the, the other thing I would say, too, is that you look at all four of these teams, one way or the other, where the game has changed is the transfer portal. And I think we talk a lot of times, Bo, about the transfer portal and its effect on college football. What about college basketball here? Um you get these guys, you know, to come in, you know, be one or two year guys, give them a fresh start. Maybe it didn't work out the place they were at last, or maybe there was a coaching change or whatever. Um, and, you know, Quentin Grimes, good example, was a five-star kid at Kansas. Um, you know, actually, he, he was supposed to, he was built up to be that he was going to be the best player in that class, that he was going to be a lottery pick, be a one and done. And it didn't work. He and Bill Self didn't see eye to eye. And, you know, he, he wanted to, to come back and Bill didn't have a spot for him. He ends up at Houston. And things weren't great initially even there at Houston for Quentin Grimes. But Kelvin worked with him and they worked things out. And what do you know? He's playing for his hometown team and he's bringing them to a Final Four. And now he's shooting 42% from three the highest, I think, of like any player in the country when it comes to three-point range. I mean, that's the story. This, this is this Final Four is about coaching, of getting these non-blue-blood type programs, because um, I'm not counting UCLA as a blue-blood because of how long it's been. But getting these non-blue-blood-like programs, it's coaching and it's the transfer portal that's changed the game here, Bo. 
Yeah, you, you, you bring up a great point there. And I think that, you know, the piece of it also to consider is if you look at Gonzaga and Baylor and Houston, these are all coaches that went to these places, have become successful there. And probably if this were college basketball, even maybe five years ago, would they have all moved on to bigger jobs by now? Yes. And I think that's part of it too. I think it's the universities and the athletic departments saying, this is important and we want to, we want to do right by our basketball program. And then these coaches saying it isn't about getting the bigger check or the bigger program. Um, you know, Gonzaga's coach can go about anywhere right now. You know, I mean, Scott Drew can take a job somewhere else if he wanted to, but why? Yeah. You can build a program and you can do it. Um, you know, Kelvin Sampson did not just go to Houston to just rehab his image and jump back to the NBA or to jump to a bigger college. He's going to be there a while. He ain't going nowhere. And, I, don't any of these guys, I don't think any of these four guys are going anywhere anytime soon. No, I mean, and, in the case... In the case of Kelvin Sampson, um, you know, there's a what he's done there is he's got his family involved. His daughter is right there working alongside him. His son is one of his assistant coaches. What he's done is they've handed him the keys at Houston, said, All right, take this, do what you want with it, bring us back to the glory days. And you know what, you're going to have a home here. We're going to pay you all the money you want. Um, and now his kids have bright futures. I'm sure his daughter is going to be involved with college basketball for a long time. His son is well on his way to being a head coach. Maybe he'll replace him, be the next head coach at Houston. Maybe his son was a player at Oklahoma back in the day. Maybe his son gets the Oklahoma job or something. I don't know. I mean, um, it's amazing what um, – you know, these, these coaches with the commitment of the program, what you can build when you put your own name and image to that. Yeah. You, when you make that program and you really, your identity. You said, yeah, your whole idea. I think you said it really well. Your name and image is the program. We've turned to that in basketball and we've really got this kind of upper echelon of coaches. And now we're seeing so many of them are just kind of fading out in age alone. I mean, it just kind of is what it is. But then also the life of a coach at the college level, you're moving. You're looking for that next big step up to try to get to one of those blue blood jobs. And when you get there, you stay there. But these guys have all said, yeah, I like having my family here. I like this place. You know, why leave? And when you can do that and get paid, and whether you're getting paid the top-notch money or not, you know, none of these guys are getting paid what Coach K makes, but that's okay. If you're getting paid a, a really good amount of money and your family's there, you get to go home for dinner every night. There's something to that life. And I think that all four of these coaches have figured that out. And I think now it shows in their programs. Um, I think we're going to see more of this in college basketball. And I think that we're going to see this is going to be the difficult parts going to be for other schools in the next few years. are going to have coaches who retire and go, Oops, we don't have an exit strategy. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, that's going to be a big deal. And to the next guy, because a lot of these coaches that would be those guys, they ain't going. Right. I mean, Scott Drew wouldn't take the Duke job tomorrow. I don't think he would. No. I don't, I mean, if he offered a Duke job tomorrow, he'd be like, well, that's great, but I got something here. 
I like my quality of life here. You know, right. he goes there, there's a higher expectation. Yeah, there's more money, but does he need it? No. No, I mean, he, he's got a very nice life in Waco. Yes. Yeah. If he likes it there, his family's there, they all like it. I mean, that's that's big. I mean, if you can do that with your family and and, and everybody gets involved, the way that you know, way you know, great example, Kelvin, what Kelvin Sampson's done in Houston. Yeah, that's a perfect fit. It's a guy you can hand the keys to the gym and go, build me something. Yeah. And and, and I think that a lot of times, Bo, and, and you as a football guy, I think we'll, we'll get this too, that we put so much expectation on comparing things to the football world of, you know, getting those playoff appearances and those playoff wins and, and uh, contending at that high level and such. Basketball is a different animal. I mean, how many teams just made the Sweet 16 and that was was it? They were excited to be there. And just like that, that saved that coach's job or that was uh, the best thing to happen to that program in, you know, a decade, whatever it may be. You know, like Oregon State, for example. Their coach was just about to get fired and they go on a lead eight run. And now that's the best thing to happen to that basketball program in forever. I mean, there is a different, there's a lower expectation level in college basketball than there just simply is in these other sports. And so um, the, the, and not to mention that recruiting in basketball is so much easier because just, you know, the less number of guys and everything, um, it's easier to win in college basketball than a lot of sports, and the expectations are lower than they are in most places as well. And that, that, that comes with it. That's why you can see more of these teams be content with these coaches having success. It, that's part of it, too. Yeah, you brought the Oregon State thing. That's it's kind of interesting. It seems like that kind of happens every year, though. It's like the Bruce Weber. You know, yes. you gotta, you're, you're the guy that should get run out of town, but then somehow you go make a run in the tournament, and now they got to keep you. Um, you know, Bruce Weber's kind of lived a life of like that in Kansas State. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, the tournament is just this, I think that's why the tournament's so fun. Um, you know, you mentioned like, I'm more of a football guy than I'm a basketball guy, but the tournament's fun because of the unexpectedness of it, the matchup, the idea that, yeah, Team A is better than Team B. But Team B on not just any given day, but how Team B plays is the matchup problem. You know, yeah. we just saw UCLA beat Michigan because they were a matchup problem. You're right. You know, Michigan's a better team. They play 100 times. Michigan's going to win that game 90. But on that day, the matchup was an issue. And that's what's great about that in college basketball. That's why it's great to have a tournament. Um, you know, it puts a lot of attention on these teams and a lot of schools then get some attention that they wouldn't normally get during the season. Right. And that's why it's a great tournament. Um, so glad we got it this year after the, after missing it last year. And then again, I think it's really cool. I saw a stat last night, I actually heard this. This is the first time in history that all four teams are located West of the Mississippi. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, no team is from the East Coast. You know, and traditionally it's an East Coast bias to, to most sports and right. certainly to college basketball. And yeah. none of them are. It's like, show some respect to the West Coast. Show some respect to the Pac-12 and how well they play in this tournament. I mean, they dominate. Yeah. 
I mean, these three, West Coast teams ain't messing around. Three Pac-12 teams in the Elite Eight. Um, I think if you look at just the storylines of this tournament, um, as we're we're getting to the home stretch, besides the Final Four and besides the fact that Gonzaga and Baylor are close to that matchup we've envisioned all season long. I think the storylines of this tournament are the Pac-12 and their surprise of getting more teams in the Elite Eight than anybody else. It's the Big 12 and Big 10 disappointing when we had all these high expectations. The Big 10 doesn't even make the Final Four. They get one team to the second weekend. The Big 12 only had one team to the second weekend. Now it happened to be a Final Four team in Baylor. But both conferences, we hyped up all year long and they disappointed. And then when you talk about upsets, um, you know, more double-digit seeds getting past the first round than ever in the NCAA tournament, that was big. Um, The story of Oral Roberts, you know, that's probably one of my favorites as a Tulsa guy to see them get to the Sweet 16 and could have beat Arkansas that Sweet 16 game. Uh, Max Smith, the nation's leading scorer, had a clean look at the last second of the buzzer. They could have won that game. That was an incredible story here. Um, what are what been some of your favorite storylines, Bo, of just this tournament, how this is all unfolded here? Obviously, UCLA is a great one. I mean, you go from, again, I've said it twice now, the, the first four to the final four. That's pretty cool. Uh, anytime a, a double-digit seed makes it, we've seen that a few times now, but when you make it, that's great. Um, my favorite story, this is a personal deal, it's going to make some people laugh and some people cry, is that Texas can't win in the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Two Texas I, I think schools it's the, in the uh, Final Four not named UT, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, you lose yeah, to Abilene you know me, I, Yeah, I, I'm a horns-down guy, so... Um, but no, I think the other thing about it is that it, it's really this year of, I don't want to say that we, so like in college football, I kind of erased the season because of COVID. I was like, you know what? Everyone's different. And the one team that was different, that was on top of everything was the one that became the champ. We saw that all season, Alabama. Yeah. But in college basketball, we had these two teams that started at the beginning. They were just better than everybody else and ran the table. And they've got a chance to go there and get it done. But we've seen all these little teams, these, I don't want to say little teams, but the lower ranked teams winning and the upsets. That's what makes the tournament great first off. And then secondly, to see so many of them, and especially in a tournament where, you know, Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, Kansas, um, Syracuse, uh, give me some other big name team, Michigan State. Where are they all at? Nowhere. There should be at least one of them. At least one of them should be left, but there's none of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of cool. I, yeah. You know, if you're a fan of those teams, I know we got a lot of people in Lawrence. They're all KU people. It's great. And I'm sorry, you guys had a you know an off year. And there's a lot of that could could be COVID related, honestly. But at the same time, I think it's really seeing a changing of the guard. I think yeah. it's that we're seeing that these teams are saying these coaches are staying, they're recruiting to their systems and what works well for them. And now the best players aren't necessarily going to the biggest school. Mm-hmm. They're saying, where can I go that helps me? And where can I go be a part of a big team? And all the coaches can now say, we'll get you to the NBA. 
well, it isn't just one or two great coaches to say, hey, I'll get you there. If you're good enough, you're going to get there either way. Well, and you bring up the uh, just those coaches and, you know, that it, how much it, it matters to the individual coach of the program. So the three big jobs of this offseason that opened up, or I, I guess really four, uh, you know, Marquette went to Shaka Smart, you know, that they, you know, Shaka got out of town before they kicked him out of town. Um, and he ends up with uh, just as good, if not better of a job anyway. And he's actually from that area. So I, I actually feel good for, feel happy for Shaka. I don't have any problems with him. Um, and, you know, he gets out of Texas and, you know, the whole debacle with Texas, but now you look at Mike Woodson going to Indiana and they're going to have, you know, Thad Mata helping him out there and, and be, you know, a, a basketball czar of sorts. And we know what the legend Thad Mata is in the big 10 for his years at Ohio state, the Oklahoma jobs now opened after Lon Kruger retired and Lon Kruger did a great job turning around that Oklahoma program. They're invested in basketball, even at a football school, Texas, despite the, politics and mess that come with Texas, there's no shortage of money. They're going to be invested at Texas. Um, all those programs that we just mentioned, whether it's Shaka or at Marquette, Mike Woodson in Indiana, the Oklahoma job open, the Texas job open, it all comes down to the coach. You can win at these programs and win at an elite level. And, and you can't say that about college football. You can't say that about uh, some of these other sports that you can just jump right in if you do your do it the right way that you can compete. I mean, there's no reason why uh, Oklahoma or Texas, as they're looking for head coaches right now, can't think we're going to hire a guy that's going to get us to the Final Four. That's going to be that guy. Those programs can do it. We, we've seen in the Big 12 alone, Four out of the last five tournaments now with Baylor making it, a Big 12 team's made the Final Four. Only one of those was named Kansas. You can win anywhere now as long as you have the right guy. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's you look at it two ways. You can look at it as you got to get the one player and ride him to the tournament, or you get the best available player or two that you can coach, hope to keep him for two years, and then build your entire roster in your image as the coach and what you want. And that's what these great coaches are doing now. And you going back to the openings now thing, I think that's kind of crazy. Shaka going from Texas to Marquette, you know, I knew he's from there and I'm happy that Shaka Smart went back to the, with the Marquette because I love Shaka Smart, but I hated he was in Texas. <laughs> I want to root for him and I can't root for him in Texas. Mike Woodson is an interesting hire at Indiana. Bringing on Thad Mata is a great idea to get him adjusted to the college game. You know, Indiana's looking, they've been trying to replace Bobby Knight 30 years. Right. And he ain't done it yet. So it's an interesting hire. To see what Texas and Oklahoma do, I want to see, first off, how they hire this. We're going to know a lot about both these schools and how they feel about basketball. I suspect Oklahoma makes a smarter hire. And what I mean by that is this. I think Oklahoma's going to get a guy to build a program like Lon Kruger did. Mm -hmm. They're going to say, who's a guy to come in and put his stamp on the program. Texas is going to throw a shitload of money. at someone who is going to be a big name. Yeah. That's what they, that's what they do. They throw a shitload of money at somebody 
We want the biggest name, the biggest splash we can get. And you come to Texas, but come to Texas. That's never worked. Mm-hmm. It hasn't worked in any program there since Mac Brown. And right. really, Mac Brown rode Vince Young to a championship. Right. But I'm sitting, I mean, but literally, if Texas were smart, then they would talk to these people, the money people, and say, listen, we appreciate your money. We need your money. But we've got to get a program builder. We, we can't just roll the ball out there and think we're Texas. And watch, I predict, Oklahoma's going to make a better hire because they're not worried about the splash as big as Texas will. Texas is always worried about in the press conference, right? No matter what the sport is, I think you're going to see two completely different hires made. And, and here's what I mean: I think Oklahoma will look younger, a program builder, a guy that's going to stick around a while, whether it's Porter Moser at Loyola or Paul Mills at Oral Roberts. I think they're going to look for a younger coach that's already won at a high level. I think Texas is at a point they're desperate. They are desperate to win NCAA tournament games. They need somebody that's that has a track record of winning NCAA tournament games. I think a guy like John Beeline, the former Michigan coach and was most recently with Cavaliers, a little bit older, um, that's their type of guy. That would be the type of hires I see at those programs. And, you know, you look at Oklahoma's case, I think you want the younger guy now. You saw that, you know, you had the older guy with Lon Kruger, but now you want that young up-and-comer to try to build this thing for a while. In Texas's case, they're they're more desperate than Oklahoma is because Oklahoma's had more recent success. So that's yeah. what I'm looking at as far as yeah. those jobs go. Texas is either going to hire the biggest name college coach they can get, or they're going to go hire an NBA guy. Yeah. And it's, B-Line's an NBA guy, yeah. Yeah, and, and it, you can argue, well, you say, well, Mike Woodson's going to Indiana. The smartest thing they did was get him with Dad Mata. I mean, yeah. that's brilliant. That's, that's, that's absolutely brilliant. And, you know, it's the same as, I mean, we've seen that happen before other places. You know, Frank Martin did that when he was at Kansas State. Um, we've seen that before where you go and you get someone to help you adjust to that level. Um, you know, if Texas is going to go, they're going to hire a big name better think about what they're doing and not just try to win the press conference. Right. And that's not who they are. And that's why I can root against them with a nice big smile on my face because they're going to screw it up. I know it. You know it. Everybody's listening to this podcast. Even if you're a Texas fan, you know it. They're going to screw it up. And, and what's winning right now? Like wh- why do guys like Mike Woodson get hired? The NBA game. It's NBA, the NBA style is what's winning in college basketball. It's finding guys to play positionless basketball, mm-hmm. guard heavy. That's what's working in, in college basketball right now. So um, as far as these individual final four games go, uh, and we're going to talk about more with Bryson when he joins us just here in a second, but uh, let's, let's first look at that Baylor-Houston game. Baylor a five-point favorite. And we mentioned some of the names, you know, with Baylor, you know, Jared Butler, who is, uh, you know, a two-time, you know, all-American player, averaging 17 points, Teague, 16 points, Mitchell, 14 points per game. I mean, they got a lot of guys that can score. Um, You know, this Houston team with Quentin Grimes leading the way, you know, 18 points a game and, 
and, uh, you know, Sasser with 14 and uh, Giroux with 11 points. This is going to be a high-scoring game here. And, you know, I, I look at this to me, Bo, is just a situation, yes, there's going to be a lot of points. But Baylor's got got more out there. It's going to take an off night. If this is the, way, the way to think of this game is, okay, if this is the Final Four, both teams – are going to play their A game in theory anyway. If that's the case, Baylor wins this game by eight or nine points here. I mean, they are just, there's just too much out there. I think for it's going to require quite the off night. I think for Houston to come up with this one. Yeah. I think Baylor's looks longer. And if, you know, if it's going to be up and down, yeah. If you're going to have that length on the floor and you're just going to be up and down, up and down all night, it's going to be hard to beat Baylor. Now, where Houston can beat them, slow the game down a little bit. And then Kelvin Sapp's a great coach, and he can come up with a game plan to try to slow Baylor down. If he can come up with that, I do like their coaching advantage as far as the tactician of the game. But I think Baylor's the better team, and I, I'm not picking against Baylor. Can Houston beat them? Yeah, they really can. This, this game could go either way. I'm going to lean toward Baylor. And uh, part of it is I do I want to see one versus eight, one and one A kind of playing each other. But uh, I do like Baylor in this game. I think five points as far as the spread is about right. Yeah. I, I If I was a gambling man, don't bet my picks, I would not bet this game. I, I, would, uh, I would say that Baylor can still win this game playing a B game. If – Houston plays an A game and play, Baylor plays a B game. Baylor, Baylor wins. A B minus game, Houston wins. Um, but we'll see. We'll, we'll touch on that more in just a second. The other matchup, Gonzaga and UCLA. UCLA's played incredible defense. And they have come out firing against some of these uh, bigger you know, more athletic teams, you know, shutting down Alabama, who was one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country, shutting down a long, lengthy Michigan team, playing incredible defense. Uh, You know, Juzan was a a transfer that came in from Kentucky. He was a Los Angeles kid, and things didn't work out in Kentucky. He comes home. What a story there to be leading that team. But – Gonzaga, I mean, similar to what we talked about in this last game with with Timmy, Suggs, uh, you know, Kispert, you know, uh, all these guys that they have, length, uh, you know, good bench, can score everything about it. I mean, Gonzaga just says, okay, UCLA, you look good. You've had a good run here, but now – Sorry, I mean, this is just it. You, you, you're giving Gonzaga a week to prepare for this UCLA offense and defense. UCLA probably will be, Bo, I would say. They'll probably be able to slow Gonzaga down more than what teams have had as of late. We haven't seen Oklahoma or Creighton or USC slow down Gonzaga at all. I think UCLA can slow the game a bit, slow the tempo, but eventually Gonzaga is just too much to deal with. I, I, I think that they can potentially keep it within 14, but um, 
that that feels like that would even be a good day for UCLA is keeping it within that spread here. I can't imagine any scenario UCLA wins this game. Yeah, you said the spread was 14 points? Yes. Okay, so I saw a stat. Let's speak again. Gonzaga has not scored less than 70 points in the game all season. Think about that. Yeah, yeah that's pretty I mean, deep. So let's say they score 75. Right. I mean, I, I mean UCLA played deep defense, but can they go look at Gonzaga the 75? And if they do, can you score 75? Right. I, I don't think that, that's, that's going to happen. That's my point is, okay, I, UCLA. It's just too good a team. They're just too good. I would say that UCLA, okay, you're probably going to slow down Gonzaga a little bit. But even then, okay, instead of scoring 85, they're going to score 75. And you know what, UCLA? You're only going to score 60. So, okay, fine. I mean, this is likely going to be an 80, 70, 80, 80, 80, 65 game. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, for UCLA, I'm not going to come in here and go, oh, it's midnight, Cinderella. Look, they've had a great run. And hats off to them. That's off to them, but it's it's midnight, and yeah. it's they're just running into the wrong team. This is a really good team. This team is the best team in the country. Yeah, and UCLA doesn't have the horses to go with them right now. Yeah, and uh, if they give them a great game, they get it to under fourteen or under ten. Great. Right, but they don't have the horses to go with with Gonzaga in this game. No, I don't think so either. Um, we're going to talk more about this game. Bryson Stricker is going to join us here in just a bit. Also later on, get Coach Bo's football fix, get our Tom Foley story of the week as well. All that more as we continue here on the Jones Report. Stay with us. Joining us now, the Jones Report this week from Bleacher Report. It is Bryson Stricker. You can follow him on Twitter at Strick. And uh, we're excited to have him on. He was on my radio show a couple of times back at Lawrence, and now he's making the move up to Bleacher Report. Bryson, appreciate the time, man. Thanks for joining us. What's going on? It's awesome to be here, man. Tyler, I appreciate it. Hey, absolutely, uh, Bryson. Uh, we, we got a lot to touch on uh, throughout this uh, segment. But uh, first off, man, I, I got to say congrats on the, the gig with uh, Bleacher Report. What you got going on there? Yeah, so I uh, joined the the programming team, which is kind of what you see posted, you know, from Bleacher Report on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, TikTok, I mean, everywhere. Like the posts you're seeing from the Bleacher Report accounts, uh, that is what people in my role do. Um, I will be mostly on the betting side, uh, working for VR Betting. That's one of their portfolio brands. And as betting becomes more prominent, they kind of expect uh, the betting portfolio to also become more prominent. So they're bringing me in for that, you know, with my my knowledge, uh, my personality and my voice, just hoping that uh, I can help grow that. And I think too, eventually to do some uh, content creation in regards to that as well. Well, and uh, sports betting's taking off so much. You know, I, I live in Nebraska now and uh, I'm on the Nebraska-Iowa border, and Iowa sports betting is legal. And, you know, they have it in the casinos and online and such, too. But uh, for for those of us like you and I, Bryson, I mean, we've been doing it uh, through other avenues, I, I guess you could call it, uh, for for a long time here. I mean, this is not a, a new concept. I, I guess it's just getting more mainstream. Yeah, most definitely. You know, and I, I think just about every state nowadays, I know Kansas, you know, is on the border of, of getting it and, it's one of those things that's basically on the agenda for everyone now. I mean, it's just a matter of, of how states are going to implement it, um, what states are going to go casino only, what states are going to go online only, and figuring out how they're going to incorporate it in uh, to everything they got going on. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sure you're still keeping uh, close tabs on uh, KU and KU football, too, right? Oh, most definitely. I mean, KU football passion won't go away, man. It's it's <laughs> it's an everyday thing for me. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll get to that later. I, I do want to ask you about that. But uh, first off, Bryson, what's your thoughts kind of just on these uh, – these two Final Four matchups uh, that we've been given here between uh, Gonzaga, UCLA, and Baylor and Houston. You know, the Baylor-Houston one, I think, is going to be a good one. You know, I, I think that's a, a situation where going into the tournament, I think everyone saw Baylor as the week one seed because, you know, they had their COVID pause, weren't the same team coming out of that COVID pause, and, and looked to be a team that unfortunately got their season derailed by COVID. And uh, they've shown, you know, basically ever since they showed up for the tournament that that's not going to be the case. You know, this team's looked really good. They've shot really well. They've continued to play really well, Good, really good defense. And, and that's the Baylor team we saw a majority of the year and a team that uh, – Basically, every point was top two team and to some people was the best team. So I'll be excited to see that Baylor-Houston matchup. I, Houston has been a team that like all year, it always feels like either they lose or they win by a lot. And it's almost been that case here in the tournament, minus the game where they should have, quite frankly, lost the Rutgers. I mean, Rutgers did just about everything they could to throw that game away. So it's a situation where like Houston looks really good and, and wins in blowout fashion. And mind you, Oregon State kind of came back and made that game close, but they win a blowout fashion or they lose. And I think it's going to be a situation with Baylor is that Houston's going to have to play well. They, they can't get away with, you know, not having a shooting, having a bad shooting night. They can't get away, you know, falling asleep for 10 minutes and a half. I mean, it's going to be a situation Baylor Bears going to come to play. And I think it's going to be a matchup that Houston hasn't seen all year. And, and Houston's just going to have to shoot really well to, to, to stay in that game, in my opinion. So what you're saying is with Houston that they are your typical money line team. Take Ignore the point spread. Just, just put money on the money line with them. They'll find a way to get it done, but it might not be pretty. For sure, for sure. And, and I think, you know, they're underdogs to Baylor. And I think – I think there's a lot of situations that, that Houston wins this game. I, I think like I think it's a five points right now. And and I really when it gets to final four and stuff, I in the big games, like I've always felt like the, the spread doesn't really matter. It's it's a money line one way or the other. You either think Baylor's gonna squeak up gonna squeak out a win or you think Houston's gonna win. And like I, I think Houston around like plus two hundred or wherever it's at, it is some good value. I mean, that team can shoot and and Baylor, I think, you know, you can make a pretty solid argument that Baylor can't shoot as well as Houston if both teams play well. And that's kind of what I always like to look at when it comes to big sporting events is like, if both teams play well, what are the possible outcomes? And I, I mean, there is the outcome. Baylor's defense is insane. And, and I don't think Houston's seen anything like it all year, but this Houston team also, you know, picked apart a zone like, like it was nothing, you know, this team has shown any ability to, to shoot around everything and, and make shots when they probably shouldn't be. And, and I think that's the reason why a lot of people like Baylor here is that Houston's, you know, chucking up shots that shouldn't be going in and they are so it'll be interesting i'm excited to kind of see what comes of that game for sure the thing i look at with with houston bryson is that you have a team here that is the first ever in the history of the tournament to just play double digit seeds i feel like that between that and then the soft schedule they played in the aac and not having very many non-conference games that we still really don't know who Houston is at this point. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that's the thing. I think that I look at the, this game and, and I think 
Baylor, there's that, there's that chance that Baylor just goes out there and smokes them because everything you just said. Because Houston, there's a chance that team runs into a brick wall of a defense, something that they have not seen all year. And next thing you know, Baylor's out to an 18 to, to five, six-point lead, and things just never kind of rebound from there. So that is something I, I, I see. I just really think when it comes down to it that I think this Houston team is playing hard. I think they're a Houston team that is very talented. I think Quentin Grimes, you know, former Kansas player, is playing really well for that team. I, I just think this is going to be one of those games where I, I really see it like back and forth. And I think of it like a perspective of like I'm a big fan of grabbing the favorite as a live dog or close to. And I do see it as a situation I'd probably see like maybe Houston actually grabbing a lead and maybe a halftime or something like that and grabbing Baylor live and hoping they can uh, pull something out. That'd be something. You mentioned Quentin Grimes. He's a former Jayhawk and now uh, tearing up at Houston. Uh, his time at KU wasn't as well as it was expected to be. Why, why do you think that he's kicked it in gear at Houston? What's worked for him there that maybe didn't work at Lawrence? Yeah, so I, I think it's a culmination of a couple of things. I think everyone, you know, with a problem when it comes to KU, um, you know, and you're seeing it even already with people transferring out. But it's the, if you come to KU, there's an expectation you're going to be very good or, or going to be very good immediately, especially when you attach a five-star tag onto that. And so I think the thing is, is that not all five stars, you know, are created equal. You know, there's going to be the guys like Jalen Suggs who come in and just absolutely dominate from day one. You know, and then there's going to be the guys that, you know, take some time to develop or, or need to find their role or need to find their game. Because I think that's the thing so many people miss between the high school level and the college and even onto the professional level is that like in high school, it doesn't like all these kids are best kid on their team and luckily best kid in their league a majority of the time. So it's a situation where it's like it's hard for Quentin Grimes to go to a situation where it's like, hey. He's now probably, when he was on the team, fourth, fifth best player. You know, Devon Dotson, Diedrich, Yudoka. You know, there was quite a few players on that team that were better than him. So then him mentally checking out from being the superstar, the ball handler, the guy who's always doing everything, into figuring out his role was just something that I, I think it was – he too quickly needed to be thrown in the action. KU needed him. Like, we didn't have time for Quentin Grimes to learn on the job. I mean, it was a year we lost a lot of players. We lost a lot of talent. So we needed Quentin Grimes to figure it out immediately. And I just think there was a struggle between him figuring that out, Bill getting it across to him, and him getting comfortable in his role. And then I think on top of that, you know, a team that's, you know, won 14 straight Big 12 titles and, you know, everyone's, you know, hoping to, to win another one. And then things start falling apart. I think the KU fans just found an easy scapegoat uh, in Quentin Grimes. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, the head coaching matchup, Scott Drew. A lot of people doubted Scott Drew for a very long time at Baylor, and now he finds a way to get to the Final Four. Kelvin Sampson had uh, a successful run as head coach at Oklahoma. Then he went on to Indiana, but both schools end up on probation. He goes to the NBA and his assistant, works his way back in college ball, turns Houston into a powerhouse. First time they've made the Final Four since the uh, – the 80s. What do you think of these uh, two coaches and uh, Samson and Scott Drew here? You know, I, I don't like I haven't watched too much Calvin Samson basketball in my life just because I, I, I focus Big 12. But, you know, Scott Drew, I, I think as a KU fan, especially, you know, we've always for years, you know, kind of considered Scott Drew to to always get bodied by Bill Self. But, you know, the past couple of years, you know, it, it hasn't really been the case. You know, he normally chokes and he hasn't been choking. And this year, you know, everyone, especially with how uh, Baylor was playing out of their COVID pause, you know, the, 
the stereotype is coming back forward for Scott Drew. It's like, oh, his team's always melting apart at the, you know, wrong time for the season. So I, I'm interested to see. I, I think Scott Drew's a great coach. I think I think both coaches are great coaches. And I think that I, I don't see it as a situation that, like, either coach has the upper hand on the other. You know, I think it's interesting. All four coaches, none of them have won a national title. So someone's going to be winning a national title for the first time. And I, I think there's a chance you see a meltdown from either coach. And I always think that's a, a greater storyline rather than watching some coach just, you know, put a clown suit on another. I'd rather see, you know, how does how does Scott Drew handle the pressure, you know, up one, you know, 13 seconds left. And how does Kelvin Sampson handle it as well? I think that'll be uh, interesting to see. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about the, that uh, UCLA-Gonzaga game. Uh, Gonzaga's been dominant all season long, 30-0. and UCLA comes out of nowhere. They were in the first four. Now they find themselves in the final four as an 11 seed here. Gonzaga, a 14-point favorite. Uh, that's as of today when we're recording this, according to uh, Caesar Sportsbook. Um Bryson, is uh, 14 points uh, too much or not enough? What do you say as far as uh, Gonzaga being a 14-point favorite there? They've been dominant uh, to this point. It's hard to imagine it being any differently in this one. Yeah, I I think when it comes to Gonzaga is that it's right now, you know, I I think that line's either going to be right or going to be way off. And it's – it's one of those situations that you've seen Gonzaga in this tournament cover spreads nonstop. I mean, I think they've covered every game. But at the same time, you know, when you saw them in the regular season, there was a couple times that they didn't. I mean, BYU at the end of the year, you know, a game where they had they were a live dog at one point. So, you know, you look at this, you wonder. Um, and, and I just sit there and I think, I, th- I think it's going to be one of those situations that I think the spread's not going to matter. I think UCLA is either going to figure out how to shut – not shut down Gonzaga, slow Gonzaga like they've slowed all their opponents so far, and that 14 points is going to be irrelevant. They lose, you know, God forbid they win, but, you know, they lose by, you know, five to seven. Or you look at a situation where Gonzaga is just going to blow them out like they have everybody else. And, you know, I know that that spread's gotten a little frisky a couple times, the Oklahoma game especially, you know, with a a flagrant, you know, helping them cover that. But, um, you know, it's one of those things. I just – I I think UCLA has – is going to be – in 10 years, we're going to talk about this tournament and we're going to talk about how like COVID helped UCLA, you know, UCLA making the tournament and then also making it to the final four was one of those COVID flukes that everyone's going to talk about because it's one of those situations like UCLA has beaten good teams their entire way here. And they have done a good job of rather than like playing really well. And I will give credit to Mick Cronin because I do, I do think this is something that he has done in his game plan is like they've made good teams play bad. I mean, Michigan last night, that was abysmal. Alabama the other night, well, that was awful. And I mean, don't even get me started on their free throw performance. But it's like they knew what they needed to do. And they continued to foul a team that couldn't shoot free throws. And it worked out for them. So it's a situation where like UCLA has continued to make teams play bad. I don't see how they could do that to Gonzaga. I mean, I think Gonzaga's bench could honestly go out there and give UCLA a game. So it's like if if someone's not – Suggs and Timmy and company aren't playing well, you know, somebody's somebody's going to play well. That Gonzaga team is stacked. I mean, I, I just don't see a way that, that they fall apart yet. Well, I, I look at this Gonzaga team, Bryson, and you know, people want to point to that, you know, hey, they didn't play a great schedule in the WCC, but this was a COVID year. I mean, they – handled it as best they could. They had a makeshift schedule. They'd take on teams like Kansas and Iowa and Virginia and others and 
tried to do whatever they could to be prepared, and they passed every single test along the way here. Now here they are at the Final Four. Um, for those that doubted this Gonzaga team, they were a lot more prepared than I think what some people thought they would be, that uh, Mark Few knew exactly what he was doing, putting that schedule, trying to get games together before uh, you know things get canceled and, and, and such, of, of making the most of the opportunity they had. They were more prepared than what I think – some folks gave him credit for. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that was like more of a, a history trying, you know, it's easy to bet on history repeating right. itself, I think. And I think so many people, you know, it's just easy to sit back and say, oh, Gonzaga's going to choke in the tournament because they always do because they're not, you know, they're not prepared. And I, I do think that's like a valid argument, especially you hear Bill Self talk about all the time. He always says he tries to be prepared, you know, for the tougher games and stuff. So I, I do think that was a valid argument. But I think the thing, I was talking to some people last night, like this Gonzaga team is built different in the way that like every year Gonzaga is always good. You know, they're winning the WCC. They, they, they come in as a one or two seed. Everyone's like, oh, they're going to choke eventually. But like they normally are built on a team of Drew Timmies where it's like you're getting right. guys under the radar. You're getting guys that are in there for three or four years. And they're just really, really, a really, really good basketball team. You don't see hardly any of them go on to the pros. They're just a good basketball team. But then, like, in the tournament, they have a bad game. They lose. That's the story that always happens. However, recruiting for them has gone really well recently. You know, and they got a guy like Jalen Suggs, which you just normally don't see Gonzaga pulling a kid like that. And I think that is the difference maker for this team, where it's like they not only have – the veterans then they have you know a great college basketball player Andrew Timmy and then you bring in the five-star kid that's going to be a top pick in the draft and Jalen Suggs at point guard and that's just is what makes this team like I would almost say invincible I don't think they're invincible but just brings this team above where you've seen all those other Gonzaga teams and, and I think that's the difference that so many people haven't seen and what I honestly as a you know fan of the sport I'll be very interested to see how this is sustained because I, I mean, mind you, they've, they've recruited well once again, but you know, you're going to have quite a few players possibly leave that team this year. And that's something Gonzaga has never really experienced is having mass exodus and then replacing them with great players that are young. I, I think that'll be interesting to watch. Oh, absolutely. And uh, Bryson, it seems like all season long, even before the year began, we were talking about Gonzaga and Baylor as the top two teams in college basketball. And, and I, I said it a while back, I said, you know, I'd love to see just a seven game series between these two. Cause it seems like that they were miles ahead of everybody else. And uh, you know, my, my expectation has not wavered. You know, we're, we're looking again, I think to what we've been preparing for all season, again, Zaga Baylor national title game. Do you think, uh, Baylor can give Gonzaga a run if uh, if we get that matchup there. How do you like Baylor's chances to possibly pull that off? Yeah, I, I like Baylor's chances. I, I think it's a situation, however, though, that Baylor will definitely have to play really well. And I think if Baylor plays really well, they can make Gonzaga not play very well or not play at least to their greatest potential. You know, I, I, I thought USC could slow down Gonzaga, so my opinion here may be wrong, but it's the situation where Baylor's defense is very, very good. So if they can escape Houston and then go into a Gonzaga game and play well, shoot well, and then play really good defense, I think that would be a really great national title game. However, I I just kind of question in the back of my mind whether there is, is a possibility to stop this Gonzaga team. And, and I guess we'll find out with due time. But I, I think Baylor-Gonzaga would be really good. I feel like uh, 
Gonzaga Houston would actually end up very poorly. I, I think that would probably end up in a, a very high scoring game where Houston at no point in that game was contesting it. So I kind of hope Baylor wins um, just because I think the team's going to have to play some really, really good defense to try and slow down this Gonzaga team for sure. Yeah. Well, and I know Bryson, you and I are, are big 12 guys. And uh, I mean, this would be the fourth time in the last five tournaments that the big 12 is sent a team to the final four. And this year was all about big 12 versus big 10. The big 12's got a team there. The big 10, their last one was eliminated with uh, Michigan. Uh, the run of big 12 basketball we've seen over the last few years has have been really good. I mean, their RPI has been high for several years, but now we're starting to see these teams actually come together and, and do it when it counts. And Baylor is uh, is one of the best Big 12 champs we've seen as of late. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that team, top to bottom, it has been really good. And, I, I mean, they were good last year too. So I think the, the big thing, uh, you know, for Big 12 basketball in general is just the fact that, one, we've started to get more coaches in there. But I think the other thing is, too, is that the location that we are in is insane for basketball talent. I mean, Texas is is filled with basketball players and the Midwest is just filled with basketball players. And I think the coaches at the Big 12 schools all very good. And just a matter that Texas, I think, is, has been rising back to the top, I think. That's one of those things, too, is people want to play against good talent as well. And I think that's something people sometimes miss. That like once you, you know, everyone was always, it was always Kansas. Kansas was winning. Kansas was winning. Texas Tech brought in Chris Beard. Chris, Texas Tech started getting a little bit better, which then, you know, rises the talent of need of Texas. Texas has to start playing better to compete. And then Baylor the same way. So I think like as you saw, like more teams kind of rise to the top. I think then the the bottom started to backfill because those teams, you know, are able to get better players who want to compete compete on that national stage as well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, a few more things before we uh, let you run here, Bryce. I want to do talk some uh, some KU with you. I know being the big KU football guy, you are. Uh, that situation there, looking for an AD and looking for a head coach. Starting with the AD, I think that's what they're they're looking to first. Uh, where where's the status of uh, replacing Jeff Long at right now? Man, if I had a dollar for every time I, I got asked that question, man, we'd be on a beach somewhere. But, man, it's it, it's one of those things, man, where I think for the first time in my time of, you know, following Kansas athletics and covering Kansas athletics on a, you know, personal level, um, I, I don't think things have ever been more unknown to the public in my in all that time. I Dude, I, I get so many texts. I get calls from all these people. Oh, I'm hearing this, I'm hearing this, I'm hearing this. And then it's like, you know, you talk to someone who's really connected and talk to another person who's really connected. You're hearing completely different things. Everyone is saying something different. So I think what I would say in regards to this is that my understanding is the search firm is very involved and they want a sitting athletic director, obviously Chancellor Gerard, very involved as well. And then the committee they had of, you know, Wayne Simi and a couple like, you know, notable KU donors, KU fans, stuff like that involved as well. And like, I think it's more of, I, I think they're getting close. You know, and, and everyone was saying it was going to come out early. Every person I talked to, come, it was going to come out early in the week. We've got nothing. So then I really start to believe the people who say nobody knows anything, and I start to believe those people are right. So I think we're probably at a stage where Kansas is, is finalizing interviews, you know, making cuts. I, I think there's some sitting athletic directors that have been interested in the job, um, have been in conversation with Kansas. So I think what we will see from here, that will kind of be an indicator that things are starting to wrap up is you're going to start seeing people come out and say that they were never going to take the job and were never interested. You know, the uh, tune at, at Washington 
State, you know, as someone who, who yesterday started to come out saying that, you know, I was never going to interview for that job and was never interested, never a candidate. Well, that's probably a lie. Um, but you start to see things like that more. And it's like them reaffirming to their own fan bases, hey, I'm here to stay, which means that either one, they, you know, they passed on Kansas or Kansas passed on them. And I think that is when you start to get more of an indicator, you know, that things are coming to a close. So I think the end of this week, you know, maybe early next week is when we'll have a decision. And, and I look forward to seeing what it ends up being. So with this AD position, Bryson, what is going to be the job ahead for this AD besides just fi- just hiring a football coach? What's ahead for this uh, this next AD to accomplish? You know, I, th- I, w- I think of like kind of two and a half things in regards to that. And one and a half of them are basketball related. So the first one, I think the big thing is Bill Self's contract extension. And in whatever way, shape or form that takes form, I think that will be one of the first things that has to get addressed outside of just directly the football program. So I'll, I'll be interested to see what comes to that. And I think that's something probably Gerard is having in conversations with, you know, with the people he's interviewing and says, how are we going to handle this? Because, you know, there's no doubt the other half here is the looming NCAA investigation and, and many donors, fans, you know, staff, you know, coaches don't think Jeff Long handled that very well in his time here. So it'll be interesting to see how a new athletic director picks up from there. I'll uh, be interested to see just kind of what all comes to fruition from there and, and any, if at all, impact that has on uh, Bill Self's contract as well. So that'll be probably the first one and a half things they have to address. But I'd probably say the last thing is just addressing the athletic department as a whole. Uh, I think the uh, the way Jeff Long went out, I think, kind of brought more of this to light than probably a normal athletic director getting fired. But um, I think there is a lot um, to be said about how many people have been there a very long time and how long things have been in the downtrodden, especially football related. So I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, if we bring in an athletic director that has KU ties, maybe you see less people kind of get let go. But if we bring in someone who has no KU ties, you know, comes from another university, I think you're going to see not necessarily a massive cleaning of house, but I think you'll see some people who were there for a very long time um, no longer have the option to still be there. And I think I, I, I don't really necessarily think it's a great thing, but at the same time, I don't really think it's a bad thing because I'm a firm believer that losing is contagious, you know, and the culture is contagious. And, and sometimes you just have to hit the reset button. And I'll be interested to see kind of what decision the athletic director makes on that. Yeah. Who are some of the names you're, uh, you're looking at potentially to be the next AD? Who's it kind of down to from, who, you, who uh, you've talked to and heard from. Yeah, so, I mean, everyone I talk to is really high on Mike Harity and Travis Goff. Uh, Harity's at Army, Deputy AD at Army, um, and uh, Goff's, uh, you know, in charge of football and fundraising at Northwestern. And, you know, I, I think both of them are, are in the race here. You know, there's some people who think they aren't, but I, I'm pretty confident both are in the race here. And I would probably say at this point, I'm hearing Goff maybe a little bit more ahead just from experience standpoint. Both do have ties back to KU. And, and so I, I, I find them as the two that I'm hearing the most, but I don't necessarily think that is a direct correlation to likely the two best candidates. Because again, back to what I was saying, I don't think anyone knows anything. I think, I think donors have an opinion and donors, you've seen Paul ticking all over social media. You got Danny Manning, Mangino, Glenn Mason, all them, you know, posting for Harity and stuff. And it's, it, there's a lot of politics involved with this. So it's a, a lot of people getting involved and a lot of people pushing their own agendas. So mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to, to push to the bottom of this because, you know, Doug Drod's not going to take my call and tell me the truth. So, uh, you know, <laughs> ciphering through all that, 
you know, I, I think those are the two names I think that are in this mix. And then the real question becomes, as I kind of said earlier, is that the search firm believes Kansas needs a sitting athletic director, uh, given what's to come, you know, for the, the athletic director that we're going to hire. So I, I kind of try to, you know, get my eyes on that. And it's hard because a sitting athletic director is never going to let their name actually get leaked out there. You know, you know, John Kirby at uh, JX Lane, you know, does a great job covering this. And he's mentioned a couple, you know, the Twain athletic director, Buffalo athletic director, but, it's on the North Texas athletic director as well, but it's a situation where, you know, that name isn't going to actually really, really be leaked until they're taking the job. Because if, if you're an athletic director and you're trying to leave your school, all your donors are no longer going to like you. I mean, like it's your job to have a great relationship with them. So it's one of those things where an athletic director search is a little bit different than a head coaching search um, where it's like not really seen as a positive to keep trying to move your way up. So um, yeah, I would say Harrity and Goff are the names I'm hearing, you know, but at the same time, I think the firm wants KU to hire a sitting athletic director. So it's really going to fall on, you know, where Gerard leans, whether it's, you know, grabbing those KU ties, maybe with one of those guys or, you know, listening to the firm who, you know, we haven't quite done in the past. On the football side of things, uh, Bryson, do you think that they're going to hire another coach before the season begins or is Emmett Jones going to get the chance to, ride this thing out and then potentially look at a new head coach at the, you know, towards the end of next season, or is this all still contingent upon who this next athletic director is? Where does the football coaching search stand right now? Yeah, I think on your last part, it really does sit on where the, uh, uh, who the athletic director is and what his personal opinion is on it. But I know just from talking to people, you know, with knowledge of what, um, you know, Kansas would like to do, is that I do believe Kansas would like to find a head coach right now. I think that, you know, they see it as a unique opportunity to find a coach um, at a time where buyouts a lot of times get lessened after February 1st, which is national signing or, you know, around the national signing day period. So, you know, whereas if you would have bought someone out in the fall, you know, their buyout is going to be a little bit higher than it is at this time. So it's a weird time, most definitely, because most teams are in spring football or about to start spring football. But at the same time, there's a benefit financially to hiring a coach at this time. So I, I, I do think that Kansas would like to, because, you know, I'm a big believer in Emma Jones. I am glad Emma Jones is a Kansas. I hope he stays Kansas for the rest of his life. However, I, I do think you can't ignore the negatives. And, and I'm not really just looking at the fact that he doesn't really have much experience, but you really got to look at the situation as like Dabo Sweeney's of the world, you know, where they're a wide receiver coach and all of a sudden a head coach. Are, are one-offs because for every Dabble, Dabble Sweeney, there's 10 David Beatty's and, and we only have experience with David Beatty. So, you know, it's one of those situations where I think Emma Jones is going to have a great career, but I don't know if I've seen anything that says that he should be a head coach. I think he's a great speaker, a great leader, a great recruiter, but that doesn't mean that he has the chops to be a head coach. And, and I, I, when I sit back and just think on the surface level with Emma Jones is I don't think you can fully blame him for this in any way, shape or form. But if you look at his win-loss record as an assistant coach, it is not good. I mean, he has lost a lot of football games, a lot of them at Kansas, lost a lot of them at Texas Tech. And I, I just think that if Kansas can go out and find a coach right now who wants to be here and has a good track record, I think they should, and I think they will, and I think they want to do that. The question then really becomes if they can do that. And I, I think of another alternative solution where Kansas goes and does a search right now and says, hey – we're going to pause our search for whatever reason until the fall. And in doing that search now, they find a couple of candidates they like, maybe find the candidate they like and realize just the timing isn't great. No real point 
uh, to throwing a new coach in yet and say, hey, you know, we'll grab you at the end of the season. I think that's a, a situation I could see working out as well. Last thing, Bryson, before we let you go here, what is the state of this football program right now? How does it compare to the last time these two jobs were open when the AD position was open, you know, a couple summers ago and, you know, when David Beatty was let go and you know, eventually they hired Les Miles, where does that program and athletic department situation stand since the last time Kansas was looking to fill those spots? I mean, you have to say the football program is in a much better spot. I mean, there is no doubt Jeff Long and Les Miles uh, improved the infrastructure internally with Kansas football. I mean, no doubt, no questions asked. And when I look at what's, you know, actually what people care about, which is the wins and losses and, and the talent on the roster's ability to get wins and losses, I, I think of them almost in the same position. And I say that with the caveat is a majority of our talent is two to three years younger than they were in 2018 when we had the same cycle going so in 2018 it was like hey we're bringing a new athletic director bringing a new coach but everyone on our team is going to be gone next year you know like it's we have a bunch of seniors and so it was a situation where the the future outlook really wasn't there i think now it's like hey we have a lot of talent and they still have two three some even four years left to play and i think that is why um i think kansas will be able to attract a good head coach and, and i think that's uh, something that's going to allow Kansas to really, you know, have a good chance to find someone that could find some success with our program. Bryson, awesome insights. Congrats on the uh, gig with Bleacher Report, man. Certainly proud of you and seeing where you're headed. Follow this guy at Bry Bry Strick on Twitter, and we appreciate you joining us. Excited to see what's next for you, man. Thanks for stopping by. Appreciate it. Time for Coach Bowles Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. Contact Bo at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today online at oagks.com and o'connoradvisorygroup.com. That's oagks.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com. Also by email, brian.o'connor at lpl.com. Bo, appreciate the time as always, my friend. And uh, before we talk too much shop here, we want to take some time to uh, remember a friend of yours that uh, unfortunately uh, passed away here in the last couple of days. Yeah, um, you know, Lawrence community lost a, a really great man uh, in sports here Lawrence, this past week. Willie Dotson passed away on Sunday. And um, I've had the blessing of knowing Willie for, man, about eight to ten years now. Um, I've known Willie, his son, uh, little Willie, Willie Jr. played ball with my son. And um I've had the fortune to be able to coach his son and uh, coach with Willie in the primetime ballers group. And you're just not going to find a better guy anywhere. And we as a community here in Lawrence have really lost a good one. Uh, you know, Willie Dotson, I know that you're probably sad this week. I, uh, I share my prayers with you, your family and everyone affected by it. I'm certainly in that same boat. And, uh, just a great, great man who was just so big in this community here locally in Lawrence with a lot of the youth basketball players, a lot of youth football players. Uh, you know, he, he started the club team, the primetime ballers, helped a lot of young men get into college these last couple of years and just helped a lot of these young men be a positive role model. And, and my heart has gone out to his wife, Nicole, his son, Willie, uh, and their whole family. Um, just prayers up for you guys. I love you all. And, um, uh, 
been a little bit of an emotional week for us over here at the O'Connor household, losing a good friend like that. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. We're certainly thinking of you and thinking of Willie D's family uh, here on the Jones Report. Our best uh, goes out to uh, all parties involved there. Bo, uh, let's talk uh, football for our uh, football fix. And uh, big news out of the National Football League <laughs> this week that they are expanding the schedule to 17 games. That means that the season is now 18 weeks long. The Super Bowl gets pushed back one week. And we have one less preseason game now, down to three preseason games here. Bo, the way I look at it is this. Basically, what we've done is that we've eliminated a preseason game and, and replaced it with a regular season game here. I know that the NFL product is phenomenal and, you know, it's as good as any sports product out there, but more games, that's a good thing. I mean, that's more for us as viewers to watch. The players now get another 17th of a paycheck. Some guys like Khalil Mack and others are adding a million dollars essentially to their contract per year, going to get more money out of it. I'm a fan. I'm all in on 17 games. What say you? So I'm of two minds about it. One is as a fan, as someone who loves the game, it's great because the last uh, preseason game is just a load. No one really pays attention. It's not a great game. Um, It's great that we've got more football. We all love more football. So that's wonderful. The only concern I have is that it's going to cause more injuries. You just, the the chances are you're going to have that kind of worked in there. So in my heart's always with those players. I mean, those guys who work so hard and you've got, and yeah, they're getting paid and they're getting paid well and they are, and they're going to get paid more because there'll be more revenue. There'll be more revenue to share and they'll get extended on that. That's wonderful. Um, you know, the big issue to me is that you're going to have to worry about player safety. Um, so it's a little bit of a two way street there. The NFL will say one thing, but then their actions show another. And when it comes to player safety, sometimes that's my only hang up on this, literally. Other than that, you know, it's one more weekend we get to watch football that matters. And I, I'm always for that. Um, so it's a win win. Um, you know, I know a lot of the players I saw, Alvin Kamara wasn't real happy about it, a few others. And I think you're going to see that because these players are aware about their bodies and the long-term effects of football. And I, I agree with that. And I understand that, but I, at the same time as a fan, Hey, I love an extra game. That's great. So take the good, take the bad and let's just have fun and enjoy it as a fan. Cause it's here and now it's not going to go away. Well, and the value of it too, we saw last year, the playoffs expand to, 14 teams, seven per conference, and only the one seed in each conference uh, gets the home field advantage with the bye week. Um, Essentially, now what you've done is, Bo, between expanding the playoffs last year and taking away home field from the two seed in the bye week and then extending the regular season this year, in theory, you've really extended it two weeks, essentially. You've had two more valuable weeks that weren't there before in just a matter of two years this way, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's more football. I mean, you have for certain teams going to extend the season by two weeks. You're right. Um, but that also brings in how much more revenue. And we do know that players get half the revenue. They're getting 50% of the revenue moving forward. So, you know, that's the other, you take the good, you take the bad. Um, if the players don't like it, should have negotiated a little higher percentage of the, of the whole pie. But 
at the same time, I'm, I mean, we all love football. And you know who else likes football? TV networks like football. You know, everyone likes football. Advertisers like football. Everyone likes football. It's the most watched thing we have in our country. It's, you know, it's, it's number one. It is, you know, it is king. And, uh, I mean, you can't hurt to have more. Yeah, yeah. I'm a fan. Should be great to see the uh, season expand. Uh, had this uh, extra week on uh, that front there. Uh, we'll move on. Deshaun Watson, he is uh, still has more allocations coming out by the day. And uh, we have seen, I believe it's 18 women now say that he uh, tr- treated them in a professional manner. Uh, Bo, I don't know where this is going to head at this point, whether there's going to be some legal ramifications down the line or whatever this means. But I mean, it's looking more and more likely that the chances of Deshaun Watson starting this next season, whether it's Houston or anywhere for that matter is slim to none. I mean, he will be suspended, even if there's not, you know, charges pressed on him or whatever it may be, the chances of him starting the opening game of the year next year are very unlikely, it seems, at this point. Yeah, even if Deshaun Watts is not charged with a crime, there's a lot of precedent that's been set in the Players Association uh, and with the NFL with, you know, uh, giving him some kind of suspension under the personal conduct policy. Whether that's, you know, the precedent we've seen in the past with guys like Ezekiel Elliott and Ben Roethlisberger, these are guys that didn't have crimes. They were never charged with anything. There was speculation. There were things that, you know, came out. And, you know, Roger Goodell put his foot down. Um, we've seen a little, little more lenient on that the last year or two. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out. Um, you know, now it's a fight of the of the two the two attorneys. I listened to a couple of things this week where I guess these two attorneys are well-known in the Houston area, the one that's defending Deshaun Watson and the one that's defending these ladies who are accusing Deshaun Watson. And they're both supposedly some kind of slippery characters, people who are, you know, not afraid to get out in front of the press and cause a ruckus. So this is going to be like a made-for-TV movie here for a little while to see what's going to happen. We're going to see a lot. We're not going to know what's true, what's false. I'm personally not going to say whether I believe these ladies or Watson, I've always tended to lean toward the idea that if this many accusers have come out, then probably some bad behavior has happened and these ladies are probably right. Um, You know, I want to believe Deshaun Watson, but there's a lot of accusations there. And then again, today we saw something where, you know, some people who he has worked with, he, Deshaun Watson has worked with uh, as massage therapists have said, hey, he didn't do anything inappropriate with any of us. And I guess there's 18 ladies who have given affidavits to that, who have worked with him over the last five years. We were talking off the air. One of the great questions of this is, why do you got so many different massage therapists? Right. That doesn't you know, add that, up. That seems a little strange to me. If I was looking and just kind of reading the tea leaves, I kind of have to lean away from Deshaun Watson on this one and, and lean toward these, these accusers. And, you know, I'm kind of inclined to believe that in the first place. So I, I, what I really want to see is I want to see if this is true, these things happen. I want to see these ladies find peace. And I want to see them get either made right or done what they can do to, like, to help these, these ladies. And, um, and then if, 
if there's a crime committed, then you know punishment needs to be needs to be done. If there wasn't a crime committed, then let's move on. But there is no correct answer here right now. We just don't know. It's a lot of speculation. I hate speculating on stuff like this because I don't want to come off as the guy who said, well, I believe this or I believe right. that. You know, I don't know. You don't know. None of us do. And I just want to see justice and fairness for all parties. I want the right thing to come, the right result to come out based on what legally happened. Now, Bo, you, and, you come from an interesting perspective, not only just a football coach, but you, uh, you went to journalism school too. And so I got to ask you just from your vantage point, it seems the way this is being covered by the media a lot of folks are largely ignoring this or trying to bury the lead on this story. It doesn't fit their narrative and such. Are you surprised by that of how uh, this is being covered as opposed to situations like it? I, I find this whole thing very salacious. I think it's, the whole thing is very uh, and very dirty to me where it's and this has been a thing, we've talked about this off the air as well. I just find that journalism across the board right now has gotten away from, you know, what I studied, you know, 30 years ago now, you know, where you didn't just get an anonymous source. You had to have source materials and keep going and research. And we're so worried about clicks. We just come to a society of that. It's the, the let me get the fastest news out right now. And, and, I'm, and we've had this, this has been going on for a decade now, this has been happening and it's getting worse. Real journalism has gone away, whether it's in sports in politics in life, it's all about clickbait, whether you, and we, you know, we all argue, you know, off the air about right or left politically or in sports, you know, a thing like Deshaun Watson, whether it's, you know, should he be suspended? Should he not be suspended? Should he be traded or not? Look, we don't know. We don't know. It doesn't do any good for us to sit here and speculate. It doesn't. And But that's not what gets clicks. It's not what gets listeners to a podcast. No offense to you. It doesn't get anybody any more attention. And in a, in a society where we all crave attention, myself included, I'm not immune to that, we are going to rush to judgment and we're quick to have an opinion. And do we really know? And that's what worries me about. And this is a great example of it. You know, everyone's going to go to their corners right now and say, oh, I'm with these women or I'm with Deshaun. And then you got to ask yourself when you hear more items come out, you got to ask yourself the deeper question of why is this information out? What's the gain by this company? ESPN.com has an article this today. It says, you know, 18 ladies have signed affidavits or have come out you know, saying that Deshaun Watson acted as a gentleman or whatever with them. Why is that pertinent to what's going on? Well, because that attorney wants that information in the court of public opinion. You know, that's, we're trying the case in the court of public opinion, no matter what happens. In my lifetime, that, that really started, if it, you can go as far back as 1994 and OJ Simpson. Right. I mean, that's really where this kind of started in a sports narrative for sure, but really kind of societally. And I just wish we would, I wish the society would slow down a little bit and, and say, okay, why are we hearing this? What is the source behind this? And it's not just sports, it's sports, it's politics, it's everything. 
Why is information being put out there? What's the importance of it? Is this information important? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at, Mr. Sean Watson. Thing. I'm, I'm scared to form an opinion now because I feel like I'm ill-informed. And I don't want to make an opinion without being fully informed. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group here at the Jones Report. Bo, uh, Tyler Lockett signed a uh, $69 million deal, a nice contract to stay in Seattle. And uh, he's uh, you know still, still be there with Russell Wilson for the time being and uh, DK Metcalf, of course, there. Um, do you see Seattle being able to keep Russell Wilson happy? Obviously, they needed Tyler Lockett, but do you think they're going to do more beyond Tyler Lockett here this offseason? Well, I, I, I think the biggest thing Russell Wilson was upset about was the offensive line. I don't think it's necessarily just the weapons. You know, the, the Seahawks and, and Russell Wilson's relationship has been a little strange. You know, when Russell Wilson was young, he was a rookie. And then was it his second year they won the Super Bowl? Yeah, second year. It was his rookie contract. And he, they became the model organization for young quarterbacks. You know, you, you, you spend a boatload of your cap on the, on the defense. You get this great defense. Like they had the Legion of Boom. And then you got the young quarterback. Well, then you got to pay the young quarterback to keep him. And what do they have to do? Well, you got a salary cap. So now you have to spend less money on defensive players. Those guys leave. Wilson's sitting there going, well, look, I'm the franchise quarterback. I got a Super Bowl ring. You know, help me. And I do think a lot of the stuff between Seattle between the Seahawks organization, Russell Wilson, I think a lot of it's going to blow over. I, I do. I think this is too good a marriage. I think Pete Carroll's a great coach and the guy you'd want to play for. So why mess that up? Um, I, I, they'll make him happy. They'll figure out some way. Get him in the room and say, all right, what do you want? I think the biggest thing that's hurt their offense the last couple of years isn't the receiving core. I think it's not having Marshawn Lynch. It's a lot easier. You can hand beast mode the ball a couple times that many times a game, and he can go run you 125 yards. It takes a lot of prey off of a quarterback. So I'd like to see them get the run game going a little better. But, uh, you know, that's – I think they'll work it out with Russell Wilson. And I and think they did resign fine. Chris Carson as well to a three-year deal yeah. a week or two ago. Yeah, and – and as for Tyler Lockett, boy, I'm, I'm happy for Tyler Lockett. I mean, he's a he, he's he's a local guy, you know, and 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 I, I you know he's a K Stater, and I'm happy for you know K Staters have have gone there myself and also guy, you know, and then and I and like we know you know Tyler's father, you know, Kevin Lockett was a player when I was in school there. That's how old I am, and uh, Tyler has been uh, even better than his father was, which was you know pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I'm happy for him to get some more money. Great. You know, make your money, kid. And so I think all around, you know, as far as Tyler, far, I'm happy for Tyler. He's going to get his money. Good for him. Get your bag, son. The, the other thing then is you got the Russell Wilson issue. Going back to that, they'll make him happy. They'll figure it out. And, and if Russell Wilson plays as well as he played this past season where he's an MVP candidate, the Seahawks will be fine. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Uh, Bo, uh, we'll uh, move on. I want to talk draft. We're about a month away now from the NFL draft and the uh, quarterbacks. We, we kind of broke them down last week. And since then, with the pro days going on, we've had some 
uh, interesting things come up with the Niners moving up to that number three pick and with them giving a visit to Mac Jones. Uh, do you think that's who they're focused in on? Do you think really the Niners are trading up to three to get Mac Jones? That, that It wasn't even, what, three weeks ago that Mac Jones wasn't even talked about as a top 15 or 20 pick. Okay, so I got a strong opinion here. This is, you're going to get Coach Bo on this one. Here you go. What the hell are they thinking going to three to get Mac Jones? Look, this is either the greatest swerve of all time, and they're just looking like they're going to, to try to get the Falcons to pay them something to move up one spot, or they're going to take Mac Jones. It's going to be a disaster. I watched this pro day on NFL Network. Oh, it was awful. I mean, it was awful. This guy, he couldn't throw a, he can't throw a deep ball. And what we've seen in Alabama is simply this. The guy can throw throw to open receivers. His receivers are butt naked open. I'm just, right. they're just wide open. I'm gonna be honest. Two-thirds of the quarterbacks in the in in, in the in college football could play quarterback in Alabama. You're gonna hand it off to great running backs, you got a great offensive line in front of you, and you got great receivers. Right. Now the exceptions to it was incredible. And Jalen was great, but Mac Jones is, I don't see Mac. I don't see what people see in him. People are trying to compare Mac Jones to Drew Brees. Mm -hmm. And you know what that's all about. You and I both know what that's all about. Little bit underheighted, and he has the complexion. Yeah. That's look, the guy's got, he doesn't have a strong arm. Yeah. He might be smart, but you don't really grow in the arm strength. You know, people will say Josh Allen grew into some arm strength this past year, last two years, but Josh Allen's a special athlete too. Right. Mac Jones is a special athlete. I saw that Twitter picture of him at his workout where he pulls his shirt up because he's wiping his face off. And I was like, oh, no. You can't look like that as a quarterback at 21. At 31, you can look like that, but not at 21. Yeah. Like, no, 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 kid. I, I It's a waste of a number three pick. And everything you did to get up there, if you're taking Mac Jones at three. Yeah. Um, I think when I looked at my picks, my quarterbacks, I, after watching his workout, I would draft Mac Jones in the first three rounds of the draft. I wouldn't draft him until Saturday. <laughs> now, I'm serious. I'll say this much. This is where I give the Niners the benefit of the doubt is that you're talking about a guy in Kyle Shanahan who's been a quarterback guru. I mean, what he did with Matt Ryan, getting him to play at an MVP level that we'd never seen before and haven't seen since, getting that out of Garoppolo, getting him to a Super Bowl. Um, Kyle Shanahan, I think, is as good of offensive mind as anybody in, in the NFL right now. If um, part of me says, Bo, even though I have my doubts about Mac Jones too – Part of me is like, well, I, I don't want to doubt Kyle Shanahan, though, if, if that's the direction they're going to go. I mean, because they've they've done this before. Yeah, Kyle Shanahan, uh, the thing I heard about him this past week, I heard a great quote. Kyle Shanahan's co favorite quarterback is the next quarterback. Yeah. He's never liked the quarterback he has. I, you know, I, I want to trust Kyle Shanahan, too, but uh, – Things linger from a couple of years ago. That Super Bowl win, you know, Super Bowl twenty-eight to three. It's still in my mind, you know. It's still there. 
Matt Ryan. Uh, and, and I blame, Ryan I blame a lot of that on him. He called a terrible game in the second half of that game. And he called um, a bad second half against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl a couple of years yeah, ago, too. Yeah, he did. Absolutely. And he, if he did, they, they, the Fortnite should beat the Chiefs. Plain and simple. <laughs> and he called a terrible second half of that game. I, I think that, I think he's overrated. Um, now I say that, I'm no better. I mean, I'll be the first one to admit that. But I, I just don't see him as this like quarterback guru that's going to take Mac Jones and turn Mac Jones into Drew Brees. That ain't going to happen. That's just not going to happen. And I, you know, I, I, I'm no expert. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, McShay or Kuyper here. Um, I got five, six, seven quarterbacks on my rankings. I got two with first round draft with first round drafts. Two I would take in the first round. And I know that I'm the weird one because they might go one, two, three, and four. Right. You may have four. Or in the first four picks. That really could happen. And I don't think two of them would be anybody that I would take at all that Thursday night. Well, and, and what we're seeing is the trend has become these teams are so impatient on the quarterback position. And it doesn't cost them a whole lot with this rookie wage scale that there wasn't in place 10 years ago that uh, these teams have seen the the recipe of, hey, have a cheap quarterback and then spend money on defense, tend to pay off here, um, that the teams are more willing to take that risk than they ever have before. I mean, you, you look at, I think, Bo, we'll probably have five quarterbacks probably picked within the top at least 15, maybe 20 picks. And maybe I'm even underselling at that point. But realistically, how many of them are going to be starters in 10 years? What, maybe two? Yeah. Maybe I'll say I agree with you 100%. I think that what's happened is teams have said the trick to the salary cap is to have the young QB and to have them ready and say, we'll build a team around him and he can't screw it up. And that's why teams also pick it. And because the rookie salary wages are so low now, you don't have these huge contracts for these first round guys, you can be wrong. And yeah. three years later, let a guy go. Look at Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah. I mean, that was that was four years ago. Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins was the first round pick. You can go as far back as Tebow. Josh Rosen. You got to let him go. I mean, Josh Rosen is a great example. And you've seen teams make it right the, the, the right way. We've seen Carson Wentz win a Super Bowl. We've seen Patrick Mahomes win a Super Bowl. Both of them on the rookie contract. We saw Wilson do it. We saw Roethlisberger do it early in his career on his rookie contract. So there's precedent both ways, but what it does is it speeds up the learning curve. Now you better get there if you're the rookie. You better be ready to take over immediately. You know, just like the Eagles are going to give Jalen Jalen Hurts this season, and he better be the franchise guy by the end of the season because if he's not, they're going back in the draft and getting somebody next year. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm a little more traditional than most people on that. You know, again, I like Trevor Lawrence. I don't see how you pick not pick him in this draft number one. I like Zach Wilson. I think he's going to be a heck of a player. But you were just saying earlier, how many guys you think will be starting quarterbacks in 10 years? I think two, maybe three. I'll tell you who I was impressed with this week. Josh Fields. Justin Fields. And, and Justin Fields. Justin Fields yeah. is great. I watched his pro day. 
He's athletic as hell. And the coaches that skipped the Ohio State day to go to Alabama to go watch Mac Jones, they missed a great performance. Just the highlights that I saw, the things yeah. that I saw online. Oh, my God. That guy's athletic, can throw the ball. I'll take him over Jones, Lance, anybody else below that. Now, okay, you bring up Justin Fields here. And, you know, I watched about every Ohio State game last year, and this was a guy that made a lot of mistakes that was not accurate at times, throwing three picks against Indy freaking Anna. Um, I watched that game. You know, I mean, like this guy was was making a lot of mistakes. Great 40 time, has a good pro day. I get that. And then I hear guys like Orlovsky say that, you know, this is the type of guy that he's the last one in, first one to leave, uh, not a great locker room guy. I understand that he's been a prodigy since he's been in high school, but um, to me, Bo, that's that's some red flags there. I'm not going to lie. There are some red flags. Yeah, I think there's red flags on all of them, frankly. Uh, the, the, the one guy you can say is a can't miss is Trevor Lawrence, obviously. Right. But is he really a can't miss if he has to go to Jacksonville? I mean, I don't think Jackson feels as bad as you're making it out to be. Uh, you know where I'm at on this. That's that's the worst organization in North American sports. They were in the AFC Championship like three years ago. That's the only time they've been successful in the last 20. They had a couple of playoff runs. They they should have not only been the AFC, they should have won that game and gone to the Super Bowl. And then the next year, they didn't make the playoffs. They won like four games. I mean, they're awful as a franchise. And I don't think Urban Meyer's a good choice as a head coach there. I think that was a terrible choice. And now you're going to bring in Trevor Lawrence. I feel bad for Trevor Lawrence. I've said it time and time again. I've said it each of the last two or three weeks on here. I'd pull an Eli Manning if I was him. Like, nope, 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 nope. You can just trade me somewhere else because I ain't playing for you, sons of bitches. I just wouldn't play there. Wouldn't do it. I mean, you can learn everything you need to know about how people feel about the Jacksonville Jaguars right now when they can't spend their salary cap and when they have had to get play, had get players last couple of weeks signed, they've had to overpay every one of them. That's all I needed to know. I'm not, no, 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 no. And, and so that's why I'm worried about Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. I think he's a solid player. I don't know how great he'll be. I can't sit there and predict what the upside's going to be. I want to see what team drafts him. If the jets draft him again, I'm sorry. One of the jets. You know, they can't seem to get anything right. Well, in, uh, you know, what's going to happen there? In the case of the Jets, let's say that they draft a quarterback, whether it's Zach Wilson or Fields or, uh, you know, whoever it may be, Mac Jones. Let, let's just say they draft a quarterback. To me, I'm looking at that Jets team. They went how long before they won a game last year? They have so many holes, so many weaknesses. I don't think Sam Darnold is issue number one, two, three, four, or five with that team. They need some gamers there. They need some offensive linemen there. They need some defensive mm-hmm. playmakers there. Why are you going for a quarterback at that point? Go go yeah. get Jamar Chase to go play with Sam Darnold. That'd be the best thing that you could do for that offense yeah. is to go get a weapon. I, I totally agree. That's the spot that if the 49ers were going to trade to, I thought that was the spot they were going to go to. But I'm looking at someone's going to trade into that spot. If the Jets are smart at all, this is the perfect time to trade down because someone's going to now in front of them. I'll tell you the team I think it could be is the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons are at four. 
And now you've got a team jumped in front of them who you know is going to pick a quarterback. So the Jets are going to make it look like they're taking quarterback all the way. And if they do, they can reap a reward from the Falcons to move up two spots. You might grab an extra one. You might grab a, you know, a two this year and a two next year to drop down two spots to get the guy you really want anyway. Because yeah. I'll tell you, you just mentioned the guy by name. The number one player in this draft is Jamar Chase. He is the guy. The best football player in this entire draft is Jamar Chase. And, you know, I mean, I'm a little, of course I'm biased. He's the LSU guy, but I mean, he's it. He is the best football player in this draft. And if he's not seeking past the Bengals. Joe Burrow is doing everything he can do. If you're following him on, on social media, he's posting daily that he wants Jamar Chase in Cincinnati. That might be a team has to train up a spot. I mean, something's going to happen on draft day because the Falcons want a quarterback too. So now you got four teams there. We don't know what the Jets are going to do. Now we got number th- uh, three. We've got uh, the 49ers trading in for a quarterback. Apparently, I mean, they're not going to keep Garoppolo. And then four, you got the Falcons. They're going to need need Matt Ryan's heir apparent. I think I think that's the best landing spot for Fields. Is Atlanta. He doesn't have to be the quarterback the first year. Let him get it behind a pro. As much as much as I make fun of Matt Ryan, he's still a pro's pro and a guy that could rub off on on a player like Justin Fields. So, and uh, make the uh, make the people back in Georgia his friends again. Yeah, I tell you, I, you mentioned the thing on Fields a minute ago about, um, you know, some things about his maturity and you know the fir- the, the last one in, the first one out. How old is Justin Fields? Uh, like 21, 22, something like 20, that. 2021. 20, I mean, yeah, you guys, we got to remember that. We can remember he's a 21 year old kids. And as a father of a soon to be 19 year old, yeah, I understand. And you got to think like that a little bit. You got to realize, okay, yeah, not every kid is the, is the, is the bookworm or the, the gym rat. And some guys do have some natural ability, but I think when you get into an NFL locker room, and I think if you've got a pro like Matt Ryan in front of you, I think we'll see where that washes out. If I'm Atlanta, I got to find a way to find that that guy. That's the guy you'd want. You know, we'll see. This whole quarterback thing is, is almost, it's almost tragically funny because there's a chance you're going to have four quarterbacks go one, two, three, four, when really only two of them are worth the first round pick. Yeah. Uh, Last thing for you uh, in a coach Bo's football fix this week, Uh, the dolphins, were the ones that made the trade to, to move down a little bit and then, you know, move up, you know, and, and this all of course goes way back to the Larry McTunzel trade and considering what they've now gotten out of it. Um, what is, I've lost track of how many first round picks Tunzel ended up being in this process and getting high picks uh, as well in, in this case. Um, we know the talent that they have there. They have what they believe is their franchise quarterback in Tua, a loaded defense. They got some weapons. They got a really good head coach in Brian Flores here, and they're making very, very smart decisions in their front office as far as building this team goes. Bo, I feel like the Dolphins are the next sleeping giant of the NFL. Are you getting that same vibe too? A little bit, yeah. I do like almost 
to every move they've made. Um, I agree in a lot of ways. Uh, I love their coach. I think Flores, we talked during the season about this. You and I, we talked about it at one of our games we called this year that I thought Flores might go down as Belichick's best assistant coach as a head coach. He is. I mean, he's he's been phenomenal there. He's been absolutely phenomenal. And then you look at that Laramie Tunsil deal. You know, they trade Tunsil to Houston. They get an extra pick. They flip him for an extra first draft pick. That pick becomes the third pick in the draft. They flip it, move down to six, and they pick up two ones yeah. in addition. They basically flipped Laramie Tunsil for three first-round picks. This is Herschel Walker kind of stuff. If, if you know what I'm talking about, when the Cowboys yeah. traded Herschel Walker in the 80s. I mean, this is that kind of a trade. For an they average left sh- tackle. I mean, yeah. I mean, now it, back then, I mean, he was graded as a guy who was going to be very, very high. He had <laughs> great pun there, given the gas mask situation. <laughs> but, um, you know, but then he had the gas mask thing and then talented guy. But again, left tackles really aren't high first round picks. I mean, unless you've got Orlando Pace or Anthony Munoz or Larry Allen. I mean, that's about it. I mean, those kind of guys are worthy of it, but. You know, I noticed I didn't mention Eric Fisher. Uh, right. Ask Joe Thomas how valuable his career was for Cleveland. Yeah, Joe Thomas is oh, it's a great example. I mean, it, Joe Thomas will be a Hall of Famer, in- but it was kind of time wasted. Yeah, I mean, he had a great 10-year career and made his money, and now he's gone off. I mean, he's probably the best left tackle of the last 10 years of the NFL. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he was a third overall pick, I think. Number one no, pick. I mean, no, I don't. Yeah, don't he was number one overall. Was... Yeah, by no. um, by Cleveland. But yeah, I mean, what? A, yeah, it's a great point. So, Bo, we're out of time. Uh, yeah. Appreciate you joining us as always. Uh, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com, OAGKS dot com is the website as well, and oh. uh, look forward to it next week. We got one, one more thing. One more thing. So, hey, we are. Proud to announce that O'Connor Advisory Group, May the 3rd. We will be at our brand new location on 25th Street in Lawrence. We're moving in. Uh, I'm working on getting everything set up now. We'll be moving in. We'll be ready to start seeing you in person again by appointment. Uh, I'm going to be in the office every day starting May the 3rd. So, hey, come by, stop by, say hi to us. Come by and uh, there'll be uh, there'll be some beverages in the fridge and uh, always fun to have some, some visits. So, uh, come by, check us out. We're finally moving out of the basement and back into the office where we need to be. All right, Bo's going to stick around for a bit as we got a few more things before we get out of here today. We'll have our Tom Fullery story of the week coming up in just a bit. But I do want to talk about Major League Baseball. The season gets started today as uh, what, a, what a time. We're, we're going to have a full season, and there are some changes, as uh, we saw last year, that uh, it was a very unusual season. This year, more so close to normal of sorts. And Bo, I know you're a big baseball guy. Uh, what are you looking forward to as far as what we're going to see first off uh, as far as this uh, this season goes? Uh, I, I, we go back to the uh, normal 162 and some of these other things involved here. What are you looking forward to as far as the nuances of this year go? So there's a couple of things. One, I, I love the fact that we're back to 162 games, you know, and some places will have fans and then some will kind of evolve into more as the season goes on. Um, and a few places are just going to go full on in the beginning there. Of course, that's Texas. That is what they are. Um, 
You gotta dig when you can. You gotta dig when you can, Tyler. Um, so anyway, uh, the biggest things I think is one, we're gonna back to a full season. You know, I kind of said a lot of stuff for 2020 was kind of a wash. It was like, okay, we'll just kind of enjoy it as a distraction during COVID, but it wasn't really a season, you know, with it being a short season. And then we saw that the team that was the most talented team just kind of blew everybody away and won. Um, the other thing I think we're gonna see is how many players are not going to come out and be as good as they were two seasons ago? Who, who got affected by that weird, unique season last year? Uh, we've already seen a couple of players who have moved on to new teams and to see how they move on. And, and, and I think that's going to be part of it too. There's a couple of those guys that I'm kind of looking at in baseball and going, huh, guys in new places, how are they going to do? That's always interesting to me. And then I think the other thing with baseball is that you – just like we talked about earlier with college basketball, you have the blue bloods in baseball. You have the Yankees, you have the Dodgers. They are the two teams that are the favorites. And it's kind of like, okay, now we see some other teams and how they're going to do some things. How are the Rays going to do? They're going to come back and do what they've done the last couple of seasons and actually win the American league East or the Padres or the team to be looking at. If you're in the NL West, who can challenge the Dodgers Man, the Padres look really good on paper. Um, yeah, I'm a Red Sox fan. We're going to be awful. <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there. Uh, we're not going to be good at all. And that's going to be happy, happy, joy, joy for a lot of people who are anti those big teams. You know, the Cubs are kind of the same way. They're not going to be great, I don't think. Um, it's going to be a unique season. And I'm just glad we're back to it. And we get to enjoy all the games. We get to go to the ballpark this year, hopefully. Um I'm excited for baseball. I love baseball. It's next to football, my favorite sport. So I'm just excited to be able to watch a 162 game season and let's get it on. Now, here's one thing that I see, Bo, as far as one problem with baseball ahead for this year and beyond is that you already had a sport that was declining in ratings significantly, that's being more regionalized all the time becoming less and less a national sport more of a regional sport but you continue to see not evolve with the times and uh you know not having you know new things to attract younger fans but remember as everybody was trying to get back and find ways to have their seasons and doing everything that they could to be out there it felt like baseball kind of turned their back on America last year with how they approached going to a 50 game season and that they weren't working to try to get that product out there as quickly as possible. And the labor disputes that there were between the players and the owners of making the season happen. And we never got to see fans in the stands till late in the season. I mean, just all these things, it, it didn't feel like, that Major League Baseball was putting in the effort that we saw from the NBA or, you know, the NFL, these other sports leagues. The NFL offseason continued. They said, we're going through this. We're still going to have the draft. We're still going to do these things and made it happen. You didn't feel like you had that same sense for Major League Baseball. And I think, Bo, that there's going to be, you know, between that and then we're still – you know, the, the Astros thing hasn't gone away. I'm sure folks are still looking forward to cheering against the Astros and such. And with that being in the, you know, not 
it wasn't too long ago here. I think there's some fe- people that that feel betrayed of sorts by the major leagues, uh, by by MLB baseball. Bo, I, I'm with you part of the way. I'm not with you part of the way. So one, I think that it's it was super difficult for Major League Baseball to play a season last year uh, because it was a different animal than what the NBA did. The NBA had smaller teams. They can go into a bubble situation. You really couldn't play your regular season in Major League Baseball when you've got to go and travel so much. You're going to, you know, if you're the Royals and you've got to go to Chicago for three days, Detroit for three days, Cleveland for three days, then come back home. It, it, during COVID, it's a little too much to ask to do that for a full, you know, April to October. Um, but I think what they did, they did the best they could. They got us a season. You know, again, I thought it was a lost season. I really did. I mean, you didn't see the, a lot of what baseball is, is numbers and the, the kind of, you know, you know, who's going to hit 400 and that hasn't happened in years, but who's chasing that, who's chasing this record or that record or whatever it is individually. And we couldn't see any of that from the beginning last year. Now your point at the beginning, I agree with baseball's got a problem. Baseball's got a problem because it's been passed by football. Um, you know, they say if America's if baseball is America's pastime, football is America's passion. And I think that's absolutely the truth. We've just come to the fact that football is the easier game to watch. It's only once a week. It's easier to follow. We have shorter attention spans. I think that's part of it. I think also part of it, frankly, is the the Major League Baseball has done a horrible job of marketing their their league. Mm-hmm. They've done an absolutely no horrible job. Who they are. Yeah. Can you tell me, can the average person tell you five major leaguers who are, don't play in their city? No. Yeah. Do you realize that the greatest baseball player of all time might be playing right now? Yeah. Nobody, I mean, nobody, the majority of Americans could not tell you that the guy that may go down as the absolute greatest player of all time is currently in the major leagues. I mean, Mike Trout might be the best player of all time. Yeah. He, he's Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth. He's all of those. And he might be better than all of them. And we just don't know because he's not on TV every night, unless you live in California. Right. And he doesn't do a lot of interviews and baseball doesn't promote him. But let me ask you this question. Who's the second best baseball player? Second best baseball player. Um, there's a lot of different directions you could go. Yes. If you ask 10 people, 10 experts, who the second best baseball player is. Probably get, get 10 different you get, answers. You get 10 different answers. I personally think it's Mookie Betts. But, you know, I'll listen to it. could be, you know, Javier Baez or Juan Soto or – Bryce Harper, you know, yeah. Bryce Harper is a great example. I mean, he, he, there's so many guys. And you go, whoa, we're living in a time where these are the best baseball players. This is a fabulous time to enjoy the game. Baseball does a piss-poor job marketing it because they play so many games and you can't watch all of them. Yeah. So you lose so much in translation. Hey, we're the best young players in baseball. Like I was talking about the Padres earlier. If you haven't seen Fernando Tatis Jr. play, whew, you're missing something. This guy's freaking exciting, and he can play. And people are like, don't know who he is. And when you see something like Francisco Lindor just signed a deal tonight, 10 years, $342 million. 
and people don't know who the hell he plays for or who the hell he is. Now, I know he's the best shortstop in baseball. You know he's the best shortstop in baseball. But if you go walk down the street and you say, who is Francisco Lindor? You ask 10 people, you ain't going to get many answers to who he is. And that's the problem. Yeah. Because everybody, if you walk down the street and you say, do you know who Deshaun Watson is? Yeah. Above what's happened lately. If you if you did it in October, people knew who Deshaun Watson was. People know who Mac Jones is. Mac Jones, yeah. I mean, people <laughs> know who people know who Joe Burrow is. Kyle Trask. You know, I mean, yeah. yeah. You know these people. And so that's a big problem with Major League Baseball. And they're not gonna fix it the way they do things right now. There's two ways you could fix it in my case, in my view. One, a hard salary cap. Now, the, the players union has way too much power. They have more power than any union in America, probably. And they'll never allow it. They have this little bullshit luxury tax thing that the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Cubs all just cheat on. Yeah. Until it's time to pay it. And then the Red Sox say, we're not going to do this anymore. But everybody else cheats. They just go, well, okay, we'll pay extra money. We don't yeah. care. Right. And then you have your local, your, your biggest money pot comes from your local TV revenue. Well, the Dodgers have Los Angeles and they have cable networks. They can sell two different packages to and make a couple hundred million a year where if you live in Kansas City, you got Fox Sports Net and that's about it. And the yeah. Royals aren't paying that much, getting paid that much for those games. No, no. I mean, the, the Royals they can't uh, spend like that. The Royals just moved over to uh, Bally Sports Network, which is owned by Sinclair. Sinclair mm-hmm. bought all the Fox regionals. And you can't even get it on like YouTube TV or yeah. or Hulu. I mean, you have to have actual cable to watch it. No one's got actual cable anymore. Yeah, yeah, that or you have to buy the MLB TV package. And you can't even watch your own local market you team on. Can't it. watch your local market on it. Yep. The blackout yeah, policy in Major League Baseball is one of the most absurd things I've ever seen. Yeah, and it's because it puts the power into the four or five teams that want to spend money and the players, and. I'm all for players making money, especially me. You've heard me talk about with football all the time. I'm always backing players, but some revenue sharing of some kind has to happen in baseball because we won't see competitive teams like the Royals will never be. I mean, you have to get extremely lucky to do what the Royals did. Was it six years ago now? Yeah. They went to the Royals series five since they won, or maybe six and seven. You know, the Rays are trying really hard. To be the best small, uh, small, uh, small franchise in in the league, but you can't miss. You cannot miss. And what happened to the Royals after they won? Everybody started leaving. You know, first it was Hosmer, then Mustakis and Kane, and they got to all get paid. Yeah, and I don't begrudge players that. There's some problems in baseball, but I still love the game and I love watching these players. And so, I, and I'm a diehard. And I'm the rare one. I know right. that. But I'm so happy we've got it back. But yeah. baseball needs to get their shit together because it's just the World Series gets outrated by just regular Sunday night football. Yeah, yeah, it does. And uh, looking at this season, the uh, Dodgers odds-on favorites again. Um, do you think anybody's got anything for the Dodgers? Is this a foregone conclusion already? Or what say you as far as uh, competing with LA? 
the Dodgers are my pick to win it all just because I think they're the best team. One to 25, they're the best. Yeah. Team. But, um, man, the Padres want a piece of them. And they got Tatis, they got Hosmer, they got Machado. They're adding arms. The Dodgers didn't mess around. They went and got Trevor Bauer to add to their rotation. That's a really great – I mean, you're never going to get a night off against the Dodgers rotation. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I kind of – those are the two teams in the National League. Um, I just I, – those two teams jump off the page at me in the National League. Uh, in the American League, I think it's a little more open. I think people are going to throw money and they're going to say, oh, the Yankees are the Yankees. Man, I think the Rays are going to beat them somehow. I, this, they, seem to, they seem to be the playing chess when everybody else plays checkers team. Um, you know, I'm a Red Sox fan. We're going to be bad. Uh, we might finish last in the American League East this year, honestly. That's kind of what I'm preparing myself for. Yeah. And, um, you know, Cleveland just punted by, you know, uh, trading Francisco Lindor in the offseason. They lose Trevor Bauer to the Dodgers in the free agency. You know, so I don't know what's going to happen in the Central. Uh, the White Sox is like the best team in the Central. And then out West, you've got, can the Angels actually do it? Can they actually win? They get the best player of all time. They've got the machine at first base for one more season in pool holes. Mm-hmm. Can they get that guy another title on the way out the door? Can Mike Trout just finally win one? Can they just you get know? to the postseason? Yeah, we've never seen Mike Trout in the postseason and and they're honestly, in the LA market too same market yeah. as the Dodgers. and they spend money but they spend it like a bunch of morons i mean i they knew they were going to pay the penance on pool holes's contract this is the last year they have to do it yeah but shohei otani has not turned into the player they thought he was going to be they really they really rolled the dice on him but that was going to be a big thing for them and it hasn't been yeah what, you know, they've got to get Mike Trout some help. Now, what about my Royals? I, I, I'm sitting okay. here, Bo, thinking about the Royals, and I'm like, man, just don't be too embarrassing. When maybe can you can you pull off 80, 85 wins? I mean, like, is that too much to ask? I mean, I, I know that, you know, they're building for the future with Bobby Witt and all these young guys that got coming up. And, and you know, I really like Brady Singer and some of these, you know, they got some bright players in the future, but – that to me, I, I'm just content. Like, just don't embarrass yourselves for crying out loud. Yeah, it, the issue that the Royals is going to be pitching. They just don't have any freaking pitching. Um, I mean, I mean, other than Brady Singer, he's going to be a star. Brady Singer is fine, and, and they just don't have a lot of pitching. You have to have pitching over 162 games. Now their their, their offense is going to be sneaky good. I mean they they went and got they went and got Andrew Benintendi, and they're hoping that Benintendi is. 2018 and 2019 Benintendi. They get that Andrew Benintendi, Royals fans, you're going to love him. He'll be the most popular guy in town, not named Pat Mahomes. He's yeah. freaking incredible. If he is that guy, if he's 2020 Andrew Benintendi, you're not going to like him. I'm a fan of his. I hope he's 2019, 2018 Benintendi. He was great. Um, Merif- Whit Merrifield has turned himself into a star. But no one knows him outside of Kansas City. He's a Kansas um, City star. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a he is the face of that franchise, which tells you about the franchise, honestly. Um, you know, I tell you what I do like. I do like that they still all the guys they kept off those championship teams a few years ago, the one constant was Salvador Press. Because now these young pitchers have got to come up and they need that consistency behind the plate. It's a big part of what those guys do. 
Salvi Perez is going to end up being to the Royals what Yadier Molina is to the Cardinals. Yeah. He's going to be the rest of his career. The Royals should never let him go, no matter what. Keep paying him, do whatever you have to do. Because if he keeps his career up, he, one, might make the Hall of Fame. And two, your young pitching will be so much better with consistent leadership behind the plate. I, I think he's incredible. I, I really think – I think he is almost a Hall of Fame player. I, I may be dying on that hill. But he – Salvador Perez can be that guy. He can be the face of this franchise when you look back at him later. And what his what he's given this franchise has been huge. Yeah. Yeah. The big story, as you were talking about, Bobby Witt. If you're a Royals fan, get ready. He ain't going to be there this week. Um, you know, it's weird how Major League – one of those stupid Major League Baseball rules, service time's important. And sometimes your best player is not on your roster April 1 when you're starting your season. Bobby Witt Jr. is going to be incredible. And as soon as he comes up, he's the start and shortstop. He'll be there for a long time. And he could be the best player in franchise history, not named George Brett. Um, he is great. And he has the potential to be great. But for the Royals to keep him, they're going to have to make a deal where they don't start his service time. So he won't get called up till June or July. So I've already told a friend of mine this weekend, I said, hey, as soon as we hear that he's coming up, we're going that first game. Because I wouldn't be able to say I went to his first game. Um, it, he's he's going to be great. And yeah, as soon as he can come up without service time, they'll do it. Yeah, I think so. I think you're yeah. absolutely right about that. Uh, I do want to talk about the Masters. Uh, this is the chance that we'll get to talk about it before it actually starts next week. Because next week's show would be out and the Masters would already be underway. And what's interesting to me, Bo, about looking at the masters this year, you know, I, I love it. One of my favorite events of the year. Uh, you know, it, it's the end of Jim Nance week um, from <laughs> the final four of the masters. Um, you know, we, we, um, we envy hello, Jim just a little bit anyway. Hello, um, friends. Yeah, hello friends. Oh gosh. Don't get me started with hello friends. That, that, that just gets me excited uh, up my leg like Chris Matthews. Um, you know, <laughs> but, uh, the, what's odd about this Masters is the story might be who's actually not there with Tiger Woods not there. Um, we don't know if Brooks Kepka is going to be ready to go or not. He's still recovering from surgery. Brooks has been the best major golfer, major champion golf for the last you know few years. Tiger Woods, of course, you know the the best golfer of all time. And if these guys aren't there, I mean, I'll still watch, but we talk about, you know, baseball having eyeballs turn off. Golf is going to lose a lot of interest immediately just with Tiger not being there. And then Brooks, if he's not involved either, well, who's there then at that point? I mean, like there's going to be, and granted, base, golf has done a really good job developing their stars, actually, comparatively speaking to this time 10 years ago. Um, you know, the fact that people know, you know, Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy and Adam Scott and, you know, uh, you know, Bryson DeChambeau and, you know, the, the list goes on and on. Ricky Fowler, you know, whatever. Um, people know those names, but the eyeballs are still there to see Tiger Woods. 
Um, Brooks Kepka is starting to become a, a, a name that people have appointment viewing for. Um, golf is still dependent on Tiger to be there. And if he's not there, um, you know, it, it'd be great to have the Masters, don't get me wrong, but the interest, it, it's just not the same event without Tiger and and, and Brooks Kepka's there. there. There will be a loss of interest next week, comparably speaking, significantly. Yeah. When was the last time Tiger Woods didn't play the Masters? That he didn't play the Masters? Uh, it would have been about five or six years ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's pretty much a, a generational thing. He's there every year. And, it's, and every year, no matter who's talking, a question always comes up. Is this the year Tiger can pull it off, even at his age? And now he's getting older. And the Jack Nicholas comparison, you know, Jack Nicholas went in at 46 years old, comes up, and it's like, well, can Tiger do that finally? It's like the one thing Tiger hasn't done that Jack did. And um, and so that's golf is gonna be in a lot of hurt as far as ratings and viewership without Tiger Woods. They already have had the problem in the past because their ratings spike in the tournaments that he plays in. The Masters is the Masters. People do watch the Masters because it is that that place. Um, but, yeah, this is going to be different, different without him around, even though he really hasn't been, you know, the guy for a few years. Um, golf has done a great job with a few of those big names at the top. Uh, you know, Brooks Koepka has won, you know, the new majors, Bubba Watson, uh, Roy McIlroy, um, uh, Jordan Spieth, those guys, they've been great, and they do have a following. And, you know, so the Masters brings all those guys together, which is great. You get to put them on this classic course that everyone sees. But it, it's kind of like baseball in a way, where it's just niche thing now. Yes. And, you know, it's fun to watch if that's the kind of thing you like to watch. Oh, yeah. You I know, mean, it, you, you are a golf nut if you're watching – the Valero open on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. And where, where the masters gets you is that people will watch the masters when they normally wouldn't because it's the masters like Thursday, Friday, it'll be nice. You might catch a little bit when you come home at the end of the night, or if you're at a local sports bar, you know, a little less of that still we're, we're getting back to that, but you might catch a little bit while drinking a couple of beers at the end of the day, but Sunday in the afternoon, there's no football. You know, there's a little bit of baseball, but there's no football. And you go, wow, well, we're going to get ready for Sunday dinner or whatever. And you turn on the Masters and you see the last six holes, the last eight holes, the last, you know, the back half. And then you see, okay, here's who's won. And that's exciting. If it's close and you got two guys competing at the end, that's exciting. But that's really the only time you get that all year long. Unless you're the big golf guy, unless you're the guy who likes to get up early to watch the British Open, or you know, going to watch the U.S. Open or the PGA, you know, it. This is the one appointment viewing. It's the same in NASCAR with the Daytona 500. You know, I don't watch a lot of NASCAR, but I watch that race every year. They put the Super Bowl to beginning. Yeah, the Masters is. It's their right. Super I mean, it's essentially the start of the golf season. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's just now starting to get relatively warm everywhere across the yeah. country. People are, you know, a lot of folks get out to the golf course for the first time on Masters weekend and such. Yeah. It's the essential kickoff to the golf season uh, is what the Masters yeah. is for a lot of folks. It's viewed in that yeah, way. Right. 
Um, what I would say is with, with not having your Brooks and not having your Tiger Woods involved, if you're looking for something for this Masters, if you're saying, all right, Tyler, what are you going to sell me on? Why should I watch? And I would say it's this generation of younger golfers, these guys that um, we haven't seen uh, before. Golf has not had a group of young golfers like we're seeing now. Victor Hovland, um, you know, and, and Matthew Wolf, these two guys from Oklahoma State are, are just uh, phenomenal, uh, you know, with what they bring to the table. Uh, I, I love what, uh, what, what those guys do, and they very well could. In fact, I, I would say, uh, you know, my, my pick probably uh, would be uh, – I'd go Victor Hovland, actually, I think, to, to get his uh, first – major championship and and that would be who, who i would look at um you know dustin johnson's come along you know uh to be one of the best out there uh colin morikawa was what 21 years old when he won a major last year um you know the names go on and on from you know to justin thomas whoever it may be that would be my selling point if you're trying to say why should i watch I'd say there is more young talent in golf than there's ever been before. Yes, Tiger will not play next week, but there's going to be a lot more interesting golf to watch from start to finish because there's a lot more competitive guys. There was a point in time in golf where you could say, all right, these five guys are your favorites. Now I could make a case for 10, 15 guys that all have a realistic shot to win on Sunday and would not be surprised. That would be the case I'd make, Bo. Yeah, you could make a huge case for a lot of names. I'm picking Dustin Johnson. Um, you know, I, I'm picking Dustin Johnson, just hoping that we can see his wife a lot on TV. <laughs> hey, someone's got to fill in for Tom here. So, <laughs> um, well said. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, but I'm picking Dustin. Uh, that's who I would take here. Um, you know, I, I, it is fun. And if you're a golfer, you know, some of these players, some of these players, and if you're not watch it, we're starved for content, you know, um, and this is what we need. We kind of need some things to kind of get us going. Football season's ended, you know, the, the final four is going to be done by the time this, you know, the, the master starts. So it's kind of the next thing to hop to. So yeah, go out, enjoy it, watch it, see what these young guys do. And, you know, just because Tiger's not out there doesn't mean it can't be fun. Yeah, I agree. All right, before we get out of here today, time for our Tom Fulry story of the week this week. Tom not here, so Bo will get the honors, and this is actually Bo's favorite segment, so I'm sure that he's excited to deliver it to the folks out there. Bo, where are we going to this time? Okay, we're going to go semi-close to Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. So – Joe Maldonado Passage, popularly, <laughs> popularly known as Joe Exotic, oh and his husband, Dylan Passage, are getting a divorce. Passage announced on Instagram, this is uh, courtesy of KATU2ABC in Oklahoma City. Uh, Passage wrote on Instagram that he has he has always stood by his, stood by and will continue to always love and support him. Quote, this wasn't an easy decision to make, but Joe and I both understand the situation isn't fair to either of us, Passage said. It's something that neither of us was expecting, but we're going to take it day by day. Joe Exotic's lawyer, John Phillips, said on Twitter that their law firm is reviewing options with him regarding separation and divorce. 
I'm not going to go through the whole thing there. Hey, Joe Exotic is getting a divorce. Hey, guys, get ready. <laughs> and oh. another COVID divorce. Another, yeah, COVID divorces are on the rise. That includes Joe Exotic, who got us through. Hey, thank you, Joe Exotic, for getting us through that first couple of weeks of quarantine. I actually watched the whole Tiger King in one day while putting together my new desk here in the basement. I, it, I'm not a handy guy. It took me all day to put this thing together. And the whole time I kept stopping and watching and just going, oh, my God, look at this guy. This is phenomenal. <laughs> so I was going back through some audio tapes of this show during quarantine when we did our, our quarantined episodes last year, Bo. And, like, we had spent probably at least two or three episodes talking about Joe Exotic. And we did like character by character breakdowns like we would sports teams of this show. Joe Exotic gave us something, gave us material content for when we, three, when four we weeks. Needed content, when we needed content, Joe Exotic was Joe there. delivered. He delivered, man. Like, man I mean, God, but Tom even made contact with Joe Exotic at one point in prison. I mean, that's the extent that we went on uh, on Joe Exotic. And wait so, a minute, I got to hear this story. Like, Tom made contact with Joe Exotic in prison? Yes, he, he reached out to him, and uh, he sent him food, and, uh, <laughs> and they, they exchanged a couple of messages, and then shortly thereafter that, Joe got moved to uh, another prison in, in Fort Worth, and Tom lost contact with him. So, well, hey, Tom should know now. He, he's available, boys. Go ahead and. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, if if Joe Exotic, this is his second divorce out. Love is just dead. There's no hope for anybody at this point. Yeah. Hey, I what mean, did we see earlier? Joe Exotic is how old? Joe Exotic is 58 years old. Yeah. And how old is the husband, Dylan Passage? Uh, 25, 26, yeah, 26. something like that. Yeah. So yeah, was this doomed from the start? You know, I mean, eh. someone's going through midlife crisis. The other guy's trying to grow up. Yeah, that's just not going to happen, no matter who you are. And then you put in everything else. Um, hey, you know what? I hope, I hope they work it out. I hope they get back together. I'm rooting for them. Hey, man, I hope everybody finds love. And if they love one another and want to be together, God bless them. <laughs> and if not. Get on out. <laughs> and, and Joe's still in prison. He didn't get that pardon that he was really wanting. He thought he was getting. He was so convinced that he and Dylan were going to get back together. Everything was going to go well. And now Joe's still in prison. Yeah, so he still he didn't get the pardon. I mean, he wasn't even the best criminal in the whole thing. I mean, he didn't kill anybody and feed him to a tiger. Right. You know, <laughs> I, I get to be on Dancing with the Stars and he's still in jail. There is no justice. What's going to be the first thing Joe does when he finally gets asked? Is he going on Dancing with the Stars next? Oh, God. Wouldn't that be glorious? <laughs> Everything is tiger print. Oh, God. we got to have this. You know, that's got to be in his contract. Every outfit's tiger print. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Uh, you know, that's a good spot for him. Um, the Masked Singer? The Masked Singer's another good one. <laughs> you know, um, God... He's going to have to get his own reality show somewhere, right? Right. I mean, hell, The Miz has a show. We can't get one to Joe Exotic. Right. Oh, yeah. Joe Exotic. Uh, now, you know, as somebody from Oklahoma, 
Joe Exotic, I, I like to remind people, just to clarify, um, I'm not from that part of Oklahoma. You know, he, he's from the Oklahoma border and, you know, the small town. You know, there's Tulsa, there's Oklahoma City, and then there's the rest of the state we don't associate with. That's is where that, Joe Exotic comes from. Is that kind of like being from Kansas City and Lawrence and not from the rest of Kansas? Yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sorry for you folks that don't live in area. Sorry. We love you anyway. Thank you for listening. Yes. Uh, so before you come at me, folks, and say, you know, well, he's one of your own, whatever. No, we don't associate with those kind of people. <laughs> oh my god i'm not touching the those kind of people with the thin football you're you're on your island with that one uh, i'll die in that hell alone i guess yes <laughs> yeah so no Anyone man from I, tulsa or oklahoma knows or oklahoma city knows exactly what i'm talking about <laughs> oh. hey, god bless them man i hope they i, I hope it works out for them in the long run i hope they both find happiness find love find uh find that true uh happiness that we all seek and all desire i mean first but uh, both i was thinking about this so now our quarantine divorces uh include uh you know joe exotic and and, and dylan i think his name was uh jay cutler and Kristen cavallari didn't make it uh and then kim and kanye didn't make it so i, I don't know if anyone's gonna make it now you know, if Kanye and Kim couldn't make it, I mean, what, what, what do any of us have? <laughs> Man, Kim and Kanye. Wait, should... Have you ever met? Have you ever seen what appears to be two more superficial people in the history of America? <laughs> I don't know either of those people clearly. I don't think I'd have an intelligent conversation with either of them. You know, she's at least good to look at, and he's obviously not that intelligent. And I'm not saying, and some of his music's great. Some of his music's great, but hey, look, man, you got some leanings that you people need to talk to you about. That's all I'm saying. We need a uh, a Kanye Joe Exotic crossover. <laughs> you know, a an A and E special of the divorces of COVID. Yeah. You know, you could have Joe Exotic on one episode, Kim and Kanye. Uh, would you say um, Jay Cutler and Jay Christian Cutler? Cavallari. Yeah, and then, and then you have, um, you know, um, Meghan Markle and, and which prince? Prince was she married? Which prince, prince Harry? Yeah, and they and they divorced themselves from the from the rest of the British crown. Right. You know, hey, there's some divorces here. We can have a little show here. I love it. You know, we can we, we can do this. You know, it's. <laughs> The tolls of COVID, you know. Presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. I'm not sponsoring that damn show. No chance. I, I just, that would be a show that we would watch the clips and it'd be like Mystery Science Theater and we just start making jokes the entire time. Yeah. You know, I mentioned the, uh, the, the crossover of Kanye and Joe Exotic. Joe Exotic, remember, he had some music videos. Maybe, uh, yeah, he's country. Maybe guy. they could actually do uh, do some actual music together or something. So what we need to get, you know, the show we got to get him on is the voice. There we go. Because they won't see him, they won't know it's him. <laughs> and, and then they hit the button and either take him or they don't take him, and then they turn around. What I want to see is if someone hits the button and turns around and goes, "Oh shit!" and then turns that back around. <laughs> 
<laughs> Damn it. I thought we got rid of you, Joe Exotic. I thought we canceled you. How are you on television? Get all the way out. Are you being prison? Go. Yeah. How the hell did you get out? It's like the, the Blues Brothers, you know, when they show up at the real nice restaurant. When did you get out? Did you just get out? That was five years. <laughs> you know? Oh, gosh. Did you, five years? Did you got five years. What are you doing here? I, 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 yeah, this is, now I'm a little slap happy. But yeah, we got to have content, man. We got to have the content. And I think the way to go with Joe Exotic is the Mr. Sats Theater way, though, just to make fun of him the whole time. I got that idea because my son and I, before we recorded tonight, we were watching that new on HBO Max, the new Godzilla King Kong movie. Oh, yeah. Folks, I'm not going to ruin it for you because I only got through about half of it. Don't waste your time unless you plan on making jokes the entire time. Like, that's all we could do because it's that bad. I mean, they're fighting and you're like, okay, they're fighting. One one punch is one. King Kong punches Godzilla and Godzilla slaps him back. No one asked for King Kong and Godzilla no, to fight. No one, and, and again, I'm only about halfway through it. If I go back and watch the rest of it, it's purely out of spite. But they're both underwater and Godzilla's trying to uh, he's trying to drown King Kong, and the the army or the other, I'm sure the navy is out there, and they drop depth charges into the water so that they can somehow release King Kong and he can go back up to the surface and get some air. Are you shitting me? Who writes this? <laughs> Honestly, I'm a fairly intelligent man. I can sit down and write better shit than this. I now, I have missed my calling in life. I think you've missed your calling in life, Tyler. We can get together, drink a few beers, and write better movies than some of the shit we're seeing right now. It's not too late, Bo. Awful. Awful stuff. I will give a heads up, though, if you haven't seen The Justice League. Have you watched it yet? I have not, no. Oh. Okay. Now, look. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Marvel fan. They've done fantastic on those movies. I thought The Justice League original was horrible. I wanted to like it. I didn't. I didn't like Suicide Squad. I don't like some of those movies. Now, I usually like all these kind of movies. I love Batman movies, I love Superman, all of it. The original thing was horrible. This new one is great. Yeah. It's what a movie should be. It should tell a story. And they did it. It's four hours. It's every bit of four hours. Do not start the movie at 11 o'clock. Okay. I speak from experience. I said, hey, I'll turn this thing on at 11 I'll watch it for an hour, hour and a half, hour, hour and a half. Then I'll go to bed. I'll watch another hour and a half tomorrow, and I'll divide it into two or three episodes. No, that did not work. At three fifteen in the morning, after taking about ten minute break in the middle to go to the bathroom, I'm done, and I'm thinking, "Oh shit, it's Thursday. It's not Saturday night till three a.m. It was Wednesday night." until 3 a.m. That throws your work schedule off. So be, be careful. So there's it was a, great. I enjoyed it. So there's Bo's movie yeah, review. You didn't there ask. you go. Yeah don't waste yeah. your time on Godzilla King Kong. Okay. Yeah. Do we, we gotta no. have K we gotta have content. We still gotta have content. Some of us still can't go out that much. Right? Yeah. I get you. Not everybody's vaccinated. We'll all get there yeah. eventually. I learned speaking of vaccination, you know, I mean you're, you're aware, we talked about it last week. I'm now you know fully vaccinated. 
I learned a new term, Bo. Um, for people like me that brag about being vaccinated, uh, they call us vax holes. Really? So, you know what? I have zero problems, people who brag about being vaccinated. So you're okay with me being a vax hole? Absolutely, because if I could have it, I would be that guy right now. I just haven't got it yet. I, my number has not been called. I live here in Lawrence. I haven't got it yet. I'm trying every which way to get this, to get the vaccine. I just want it. Okay. Get it done. Well, one day you can join yeah. me in the Vax Hole Club. Oh, I'm gonna carry that card in my back pocket all the time. I'm like, oh no, bro, you leave me alone. I got this. Yeah, he's got yeah. the the his passport. If anybody, <laughs> if you're somewhere and someone's not wearing a mask, ask for the card. They say, hey, where's your card? If they don't have their card, get the f out of here. I saying that, how many times have you forgotten your mask and you walked in somewhere? Uh, not in a long time, actually. It has hardly ever happened to me. I've done it a couple times where like I was, I was getting gas and I was going to go into the gas station and you're like two steps from the door and you realize, oh, forgot my mask. So you go back and get it. Today, I had to go to Walgreens. I am all the way into Walgreens. I'm all in the back to pick up my medication. Get back there. Oh, shit, I don't have a mask on. And I'm the guy that if I see you without a mask, I'm going to say something. I'm not polite about that. And here I am being that guy. And I'm like, oh, shit. I literally ran out the front door. Like I had stole something. Went to my truck, got my mask, came back in, apologized to every single person that I saw between there and there that I'd seen previously. I mean, I'm so sorry. I forgot my mask. I'm so sorry. I was out of breath. running running and talking because i was not gonna not wear my mask uh, on that note we will run <laughs> well thanks, uh, thanks for having me on thanks for stopping by hanging out with us as always and always a pleasure to uh chat it up my friend make sure to subscribe to jones Port. new episodes out each and every week on apple spotify google podcasts leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all Social media, facebook.com forward slash Toddler Jones Live, Toddler Jones Media Group, Twitter at Toddler Jones Live, at TJ Media Group, Instagram, Toddler Jones Live, Jones underscore report. You can find us there. Big thanks to Bryson Stricker for joining us. Check out his awesome work at Bleacher Report. For Brian O'Connor, Toddler Jones, thanks so long. It's been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week.